0: When there's no more room in hell, the dead will start a podcast.
1: Everybody, welcome to No More Room in Hell number thirty. I'm Mike, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom?
2: Greetings and salutations, lovers of goulash. And if you don't understand my greeting, stay tuned; all will be revealed.
1: <laughs> People are probably like, "I do like goulash, but I don't know what the hell you're referencing." <laughs> 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 All right, also joining us as always, it's Derek. What's up, Derek?
3: Holy hey, straw Fields Batman.
1: What's going on? <laughs> hey man. You know, just uh another weekend. We've hit springtime, so it's it's good times out here. Uh, we get we get to enjoy like a month before it's desert hot. But uh today we're gonna be talking about a couple movies that are Venom's picks. Venom, what are we talking later?
2: Well, um, I was kind of inspired by uh, episode 28, which was Derek's picks, where we took a trip to Finland to check out a couple of movies um, that were new to most of us. And I decided I kind of wanted to do that as well. I wanted to try to... Maybe look at a country that's kind of, you know, not really thought of as a, you know, uh, a big creator of horror films. So obviously places like Japan, Germany, those are completely out because, you know, we could do an entire series of shows there. But uh, I also wanted to go um, look at a region that maybe doesn't even have the same name that it did before. And it's actually gone through a regime change um, between the first and second movies for today. So. Um, with that said, we are taking a trip to uh, the Czech Republic, formerly Czechoslovakia. Uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of films uh, that really kind of highlight the uh, Czechoslovakian style of horror. Um, I actually did check out a couple of others besides the two that we'll be talking about today, and they all kind of have a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same filmmaking styles, so we'll talk about that. But the two movies that we'll be talking about specifically are Valerie and Her Week of Wonders from 1970 from the Czech Republic, excuse me, from Czechoslovakia, as it was called Czechoslovakia at the time, and then we'll also be looking at 2016's The Noonday Witch from the Czech Republic. Uh, both movies are in check with English subtitles, but there's some interesting stories around Valerie and her week of wonders that uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys about. But yeah, those are our two features for the day. Nice.
1: Yeah. When you said uh, where the country of origin was for the movies, I was like, oh, they make movies there. Like obviously <laughs> somewhat in jest, but uh, it's just when you go country yep. specific and then, you, you know, I think it's common to to uh, assume it's going to be the countries that you listed off first just because they're kind of known and being prominent, especially for horror. So sure. uh, as soon as you said, you know, where are these movies are from, I instantly became interested. Now, Noonday, which I had not seen, but um, I, I knew because just from scrolling Shutter, I knew it was sitting there. So. Yeah. But the other one is is like a total brand new one for me. Like I had mm-hmm. never, not even known it existed.
2: Yeah. For well, me- when I picked uh, Czechoslovakia to be our kind of feature country for the episode, I went and did some research and I found a few videos on YouTube that were basically like the top 10 horror films from Czechoslovakia slash the Czech Republic. And I, I went ahead and grabbed a couple that looked really intriguing to me. The Noonday Witch is not a first, day watch, a first time watch for me. I had seen this back in 2016 when I was a you know brand new podcaster on the scene, and um, I remember being a little indifferent on it. So I wanted to, I kind of wanted to revisit that one. But then Valerie and her Week of Wonders was just one that um, just by reading its description, its synopsis, I was thoroughly intrigued and there's uh, there's also a lot of cool like factoids about this movie that we'll talk about a little bit um right down to the point that we may have watched child porn but we'll we'll get into more specifics when we get to the film (laughs) yeah for
3: sure you know uh i was just gonna say uh i heard of valerie her week for wonders for years and uh i actually kind of mentioned it before on the show when we were talking about ginger snaps, cause there's actually on the screen factory Blu-ray, there's a kind of a special feature on there talking about like uh horror films that involve like the becoming of a woman, like, you know, when a girl gets her period and that's yeah. one of the films they talked about back then. And the noonday, Witch is the same story with me with my, as Mike. I, I always just scroll by. I'm like, what is this movie about? You know, <laughs> it was like, it had like a you know like I called her Czech Republic Jessica Chastain on the screwing <laughs> picture and like what is this you know but uh, yeah they were both first time watches and yeah you know a lot to say about both the movies so good 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 choice either way Venom nice
1: yeah so as usual we will uh, get to those later in the show our our main features are always. <laughs> the last thing we do so uh how we start our show i don't know why i'm treating this like people are brand new listeners but hey it's episode 30 so i guess that's somewhat of like a mini milestone so in case there are any new listeners uh we usually start out with what we watch so we'll go ahead and get right into that now uh Danim, what do you have up first
2: all right so over the last few weeks um Knowing that the world is going to be reopening very, very soon. Um, Already parts of California are reopened, so that's kind of nice. But um, knowing that that the time was coming soon and once everything does reopen, I'm barely going to be in the house because I'm not much of a homebody. I prefer being out. So with that knowledge, I went ahead and binged at a bunch of 2021, so most, most if not all, of the movies I'll talk about today are brand new that we have not discussed on Fresh Cuts, and the first one I'm going to talk about is a movie that was just released at um, the beginning of March, a little less than a month ago, and that is No Fear, and No is spelled K-N-O-W, so it's No Fear, as in the knowledge of fear, and... um You know, uh, this uh, movie is the story of um, a wife who's been possessed after her possession. Her husband and family um, basically perform a dangerous ritual in a book used to identify and banish demons. Um, The ritual obviously goes wrong. I mean, obviously, this is a horror film. So, I mean, we're looking at a you know, we're looking at a fairly cut and paste copy and paste. Um, possession film here with you know some new elements but when I knew as a stretch let's just say elements that we don't see as often in these times of films um, the film was mildly entertaining I mean I was definitely into it in the first half but once we actually get to the second half and um, some more of the story is kind of uh, exposed to the viewer it, it tends to get kind of muddy Um, You know, the whole moral of the story and everything else that's going on. So this one's probably not going to end up being any kind of high recommend. Again, I would say if you are a fan of Possession films, it's still worth checking out. It has a dreadfully low score on IMDb. I don't think it's nearly as bad as the majority of people think it is, but apparently it's not a very popular title in the genre right now. So, yeah, that's my first what I've been watching, and that is 2021's No Fear, K-N-O-W. You guys have either? You guys checked this out yet? No, I I I haven't. Sounds yeah, this cool. was one that, you know, I mean, I love demonic possession movies, and I'm, you know, just like with found footage, I will watch any movie regardless of the reviews that it's getting, even if people say it's absolute garbage. If it falls in one of those two genres, which are pretty much my favorite subgenres of horror, I'm going to watch it. And sometimes I will tend to be a little bit more forgiving, especially with found footage. I've I've, you know, gotten into many a discussion with other podcasters where... You know, they'll give a found footage movie a 2 out of 10, and I'll just, it, it'll completely set me off because I'll see things in it that apparently they, they didn't and vice versa. So I am definitely very apologetic to both those subgenres. But, yeah, this one gets a very mild recommend, and that's really only if you're a, a Possession fan. So
1: mm. check it out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, um, I, I have not seen it. I think I've seen... You know, I I know of it as in I've seen it scrolling, but didn't uh, check it out. So but based on your reaction to it, not in a hurry.
2: Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's not essential viewing by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's kind of a nice little story, though. Like It starts out uh, as a family drama where this older couple have uh, a young boy and girl living with them who are not their son and daughter. They're actually uh, a niece and nephew of this couple. Uh, the kid's parents died, unfortunately, and they are now living with their aunt and uncle. And then it, it just kind of goes from there. Though one of the things I do like about this movie, and I've harped about this on Fresh Cuts, is that i everyone in the movie is likable literally there's probably only like 5 or 6 people in the whole movie and they're all likable not one douchebag in the bunch no, I, I don't even really question too many people's decision-making in the movie. Obviously, it's a horror film, so there's going to be one or two instances where you kind of roll your eyes at you know what somebody decides to do. But for the most part, I felt like this movie was above average for me. Now, obviously, I, I don't think this movie is going to resonate with the masses by any stretch. I've already said how much I love this subgenre. So, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. But like I said, if you are a fan of this genre, check it out. It, it, you could watch a lot worse, I guess, would be the best way to put it. <laughs>
3: yeah, I'll check it out. Sounds interesting enough for me. Yeah. I always give movies a chance.
4: Nice.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: okay, uh, Derek, what do you got up first?
3: Uh, Let me think what I want to talk about first. <laughs> well, I'll talk about this. I started, kind of been on this anime kid, this kid at work, at, recommended me a anime show on that's on Netflix right now, and that is Demon Slayer. Any of you guys check this one out?
2: I've actually heard the title, and I think I may have even watched a trailer, but I have not watched an episode yet.
3: All right, I'll give the setup, because I only watched like the first four episodes of it. I'm still getting into it. But uh, pretty much like the whole beginning is the main character who... I can't think of his name. I, I'm bad. At it, but I have to get back into the show. But, uh, uh, the main character of the show's family gets slain by a demon, but besides his little sister who survived. And what ends up happening is his sister ends up becoming into a demon. And, you know, he actually runs into a demon slayer and he's protecting his sister from him. And, uh, pretty much the demon slayer actually ends up, uh, Letting them go, and pretty much what it ends up happening is he's been recruited to become a future demon slayer, so he has training and stuff. And th- that's where I'm going to leave it off. you know, he's building up a journey with his demonic sister, who's now a flesh a manian demon who <laughs> uh they're going around slaying demons pretty much. It's kind of a cool concept for a show. uh The animation's really good. it's like that old school animation that we love. Uh, for if you like anime it, it's anime animation i know it's not for everyone but i enjoy it for it is it opens with this great emo song and it has like the you know that fucking emo soundtrack credit scene <laughs> at the end which is it's anime it's typical for the genre but uh yeah i dug it for what i've seen so far i've been on and off of it for because i've been watching a various amounts of shows lately because you know that's it's great to actually catch up on some shit that you haven't been wanting mm-hmm. to check out, you know? So, uh, yeah, the, that's the first thing I've been checking. It's a really good, you know, lots of blood violence, very cool. Aesthetical choices of the, the battles, uh, typical anime stuff, but you know, it's horror related. Uh, if I know there's a few fans of anime films on it where, you know, they fight demons and stuff. So yeah, check it out. You said it's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now, the first I'll season. I'll check
1: it out. Awesome. All right. Um, all right, my first one up, I'll get this one out of the way because I'm pretty sure out of us three, I'm the only one that watches it. So you guys probably won't have too much to say about it, but it's it was the season 10 finale of The Walking Dead. And I guess just the second half of season 10 in general for those that aren't familiar with the show anymore basically they had to split the season in two because of the way production came to a halt uh at some point so what happened was the first half of the season aired like normal but the second half i think they had bits and pieces of things filmed so it got put on hold and then released at a later date this uh past sunday uh they aired the season 10 finale which was an episode dedicated to Negan, his backstory kind of how he became Negan. if you're you know unfamiliar with the book and the show then you probably have no idea who i'm talking about but uh if you do watch the show then yeah i i thought it was probably the best episode of season 10 i i I personally tend not to be a fan of the episodes that just do a deep dive on a single character because for me like these story driven shows there's usually so much going on week to week that when like they they kind of pause the storyline to like focus on one character for the entire running time it feels like you know you you basically didn't get your fill of the rest of the story for the week but this one um Megan I, I I thought it was really well. I thought, you know, the show has a a a good way, or an interesting way of taking characters from the comic and making them a little more three dimensional. Which it makes sense because a lot of comics, especially horror comics, sometimes, you know, the characters are very just stereotypical villain or bad guys, like over the top, no redeeming qualities. That's fine. It makes sense. I love the comic, Uh, but the show. Uh at times, depending on the character, how you know how much is invested in that character, they try to uh make them a little more layered. Uh they try to show motivations from their perspective, even though they're the you know, in the main story they're considered the villain. So uh Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he's played a great Negan, and I thought that was probably the best episode of this season. Uh those for and also Next season is the official last season of the show. So, um, it was a good way to go out. We'll see. Uh, because of the season 10, second half getting delayed, we are getting a new season in the same calendar year this fall. So,
2: we'll, we'll see how the Walking show. Dead plays always out. split their seasons?
1: Well, so. I remember they, them
2: always splitting them.
1: They did. They did, but, um,
2: because I mean, I'm that. sure the break in between this time was a little bit longer because of the right. pandemic. I mean, I remember usually, always, the,
1: usually there's a planned break. They do like the mid-season finale. Right. And what usually happens is because they usually would start in October <laughs> and they go, they do the the uh, hiatus during like the holiday season and come back sometime, usually at the end of January or February. Um, but this time, the first part of the series actually aired earlier so there wasn't supposed to be that same hiatus time, but because of all the screwed up mm-hmm. filming and scheduling, it just got pushed longer. Uh, the same thing happened to fear the walking dead, but they, I th- believe they had more actually, no fear the walking dead. It only affected the finale. It was unfinished. So then they like did the finale at like a different time, like a few weeks after when it would have normally aired. Um, but that the new season. That's actually started tonight for anyone that watches that. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to mention it because, you know, it is a show I used to really cover more in depth. But um, so that's up for me first. So, Venom, what do you got next?
2: All right. Well, um, after just hearing my review of No Fear and talking about how apologetic I am for demonic possession and found footage movies. Here is a movie that I'm going to recommend everyone avoid, and that is 2021's Paranormal Prison, uh, written and directed by Brian Jagger. This movie is not very enjoyable by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this is one of those insipid found footage movies that turns people off to the genre, you know, completely unlikable characters, completely... Unnecessary, like characters unnecessarily carrying cameras when they shouldn't be and not explaining it to the audience, blah, 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 blah. It's just, it's one of the more poorly made uh, found footage movies. It has a just terrible... Um, finale which is very unsatisfying and the basic gist of the movie is a paranormal investigation youtube channel is getting ready uh to um is getting ready to shut down if they don't get a video you know that gets them a lot of clicks and likes and everything else so they're in in their last ditch effort to try to save the youtube channel they go to a prison That is about to be demolished. Now, this prison has a history of paranormal activity. It's been investigated by multiple um, paranormal uh, teams before this team went to do it. But this team has the distinction of being the last paranormal team that's going to look at this prison before it's completely demolished and raised from the ground. So Um, Like I said, I can't recommend this. The scares are boring. There's very few scares in it to begin with. Um, There's a reveal that one of the characters in the group um, that's in the movie the entire time interacting with everybody else on the team uh, turns out that they were actually dead and that they weren't actually there. Or should I say, you know, It could have been their ghost or a specter or something like that that was basically helping the paranormal team. But it just if the reveal of that just fell so flat, it it didn't really have any kind of weight whatsoever. This is a movie that's currently sitting at 2.5 on IMDb, and I can't disagree. So, yeah, that's 2021's Paranormal Prison this one gets an emphatic thumbs down from me, and, yeah, I, I would say just avoid it, even if you are a found footage completionist. I would say, nah, th- th- there's just no need to watch this one. I'm going to assume you two guys have not seen this film, right? Oh, well, I'm going to give it to Exploding <laughs> Heads, the review. Yeah, I have
3: Wait, not well, seen it. Wait, what was that about,
2: it. Exploding Heads?
3: I was going <laughs> to give it to the review on Patreon. Thank you, Venom.
2: Oh, do it. Yeah, they'll hate it. I mean... <laughs>
3: Just the title of that movie, that's uh, kind of like
1: a it's gonna be surprisingly great or horrible. And yeah. I would wait for like someone to watch it before me and you <laughs> have taken on that task, probably not directly but indirectly, so thanks. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, this movie, I mean this this movie would even fail the Dave Z test. Like the, the poster is awful. The poster itself <laughs> is terrible. I'm looking the at it. The <laughs> poster actually gives you a, a like a, a, a close up look of a quote unquote spirit. But that spirit is not in the movie. (laughs) It's literally just a random ghost that they copied and pasted. Yeah, yeah. It it looks terrible. But yeah, I mean, there's very little effective scares in the movie. Like I said, the ending is just very unsatisfying and kind of hokey too. Like some of the characters in this, I, I tend to defend characters in found footage movies because I always say, well, since it's found footage um these people aren't supposed to be actors necessarily you know these are uh, paranormal investigators or whatever the the point of the found footage film is you know or in the blair witch there're three college kids trying to write a paper about the blair witch blah 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 so yeah, this one, the, the the characters aren't compelling. In fact, most of them are hateable. This movie is the complete opposite of No Fear, where I said No Fear's entire cast is likable and you actually want to see them survive. Whereas this movie, it, it's just painful to get through at times. There's literal lines of dialogue in here that will make you cringe to no end and you really just want everyone to die, ultimately. There's, like, one female character that's kind of nice. She's, like, the innocent sweet girl, but even she gets annoying by the end. So, yeah, paranormal prison gets an emphatic avoid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Derek. Uh, what you got, and will yeah. it uh, bring the room up?
3: Uh and I just want to just note, recall that I was just kidding when I said I would make Exploding heads to watch that, because I'd rather not hear people talk about shitty movies. I'm a <laughs> That's good true. guy. But, uh, yeah, here we go. For my next pick, speaking of The Walking Dead, I've been checking out the new show on Amazon Prime from Robert Kurtman called Invincible, based on oh, his yeah. comic book adaptation. I'm up to episode five. I'd actually just finished episode five after, uh, before we started recording, and I'm hooked to that show. It's so good. It's, if you guys I know we were talking about a superhero show and a horror podcast, but I'm just shocked how much violence is on this show. I wasn't expecting it at all. Right from the end of the first episode, I was hooked to this. Such a great story and great voice cast in this. You got J.K. Simmons as Omni-Man. That's amazing, and I know why they cast him, because he looks like J.J. Jameson with the hairline and everything. It's great. Uh, and you, you get even Clancy Brown as a demon detective, look, kind of like a Hellboy type. It's amazing casting. Uh, great voice cast. Uh, Steven Yon plays, of course, uh, the main character, Invincible, and he's great in the role. You know, uh, Great interaction with characters. This great writing overall, and just fun. It's just a fun show. I'm very hooked, and after Episode yeah. 5, I don't know where it's going to go, because that's what I like about this. I had to wait for the next week to get to the next episode. So, yeah, it's good so far. I'm hooked.
2: Yeah, I'm two episodes in myself, and, yeah, I absolutely love it. It's I, I'm loving every second of it. It's so entertaining. And what's funny, too, is that as violent as it is, it's actually still toned down from the comic book. The comic yeah, book is yeah. way more violent.
3: <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's the runtime yeah, on the episode? Highly recommend. They're like forty-seven minutes.
1: Hmm. And what's the uh, s- uh, s- uh, stream channel
3: for this? It sounds. It's, on, it's Prime. a Prime original. Prime. Yeah, okay. It's on Prime. Yep.
1: Yeah, I'll probably check it out. I mean, it sounds interesting. Everyone I've uh, heard from about it says it's really good.
3: Yeah, my fi- my favorite character is in episode two, and it's a alien that's kind of like played by Seth Rogan. <laughs>
4: oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's so nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh, um, so good. It's good stuff, Mike. You, you let me yeah, you yeah, should check right. it out. I will. All
1: right. Next up for me, it's uh another I well, yeah, I guess you could consider this a TV show. It's um a shutter original, an actual original that just kicked off their second season. There's two episodes out. Watched both of those, and that would be Creep Show. Uh, and I gotta say, so far I'm liking season two. I think there's a standout segment for me, but overall I've, I've liked it through the first two episodes. Before I say any more, have you guys watched any of the second season yet?
3: I have not yet. Uh, I actually had them on deck for after we record.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm caught up
1: what have you thought so far of it venom
2: oh it's much better than season 2 but it's also very pandering like this this season so far they're really really pandering to the hardcore fans especially i mean really the whole first episode both segments in the first episode are very pandering to both fans of the original uh, and and uh, of the original creep show, and and then of course it's probably not much of a spoiler at this point to say that the second segment of the first episode is inspired by The Evil Dead and the Necronomicon specifically. So, um, and, and when much. I say pandering, <laughs> I'm not I'm not necessarily using that in a negative way because sometimes I like being pandered to. A lot of people will say that the. Uh, the first Star Wars movie in the new trilogy, Force Awakens, was very pandering to the original fans. Well, guess what? I fucking love that movie, so I don't mind being pandered to periodically. So uh, I I have no complaints uh, with the episodes. I mean, uh, yeah, that first episode is stellar. Uh, The second episode is still really good. Um, Both segments were solid. But, yeah, I can definitely see that they're kind of trying to um, placate Older horror fans. It's Disney. very
1: familiar. Yes. Covered ground type stories. Um, and
2: then Ashley Lawrence was in the second episode, right? Am I thinking of the right one? Uh, second episode, not second story. The second episode. The second it?
1: episode. Uh, yeah. uh, Keith David was in it. Uh, Josh McDermott, who plays Eugene on Walking Dead, was in it. See oh, okay. uh, Thomas Howe, right? Then Maybe. Because I was actually reading about the Ashley
2: Lawrence segment. Um, oh, yeah, really yeah. She, to report yeah, uh-huh. she's in it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I'm talking Okay, yeah, so my brain, I haven't completely fucked up my brain with drugs quite yet. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like I said, being able to see these people, you know, actors that horror fans are familiar with, especially some like an Ashley Lawrence that we maybe don't see as much anymore, who, you know, spoiler alert, she was actually my favorite final girl all through the 80s for whatever that's worth. So um so I can see why they chose to do what they did because I think cause with the first season it wasn't nearly as pandering uh, you know as it, um, service you know do, doing service to the old fans and i think they're kind of remedying that with the second season and i'm not complaining by any stretch i'm just pointing out what i'm seeing as i'm watching these first two episodes but yeah very very good episode so far and yeah i agree with mike that one segment is definitely the highlight of the season so far episode one segment two yeah. Uh, um I will disagree I, with Mike's assertion that he made earlier today about it being better than Evil Dead 2013 but I think that's just uh you know it's uh, to each to each his own I guess yeah I mean if if we were really going to have a
1: conversation to break down it's hard to even compare the two because one's like a shorter segment thing anyway
2: yeah, and it's television. I mean, ultimately, yeah, yeah, it's not it's, a full film production. I mean, because Evil Dead 2013, to me, is gorgeous. I fucking love that movie cinematography-wise, filmmaking-wise. I think it's near flawless. But obviously, I'm in the minority there. But that's that's no big deal. I,
1: I don't think you're in the minority. Uh, most people, I think... Like I don't even I, I wouldn't even say I dislike it I mean for starters but I I think most people I've heard from are positive on it maybe even more positive I'm positive
2: I mean, though I mean that movie's a ten out of ten it was my number one movie of 2013 I I I I I've never really spoken to anybody other than Mark Nato from the horror cast that loves this movie as much as I did you know the 2013 remake. Um, I just loved how different it was. You know, I love that they didn't go for comedy. Blah 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 blah. But then, of course, you know, the segment in the, the season premiere of Creepshow obviously does go for comedy. It definitely feels more like a Sam Raimi Evil Dead as opposed to to a oh, Freddy yeah. Elf's Evil Dead. So it's a yeah. Raimi
1: legacy segment for absolutely.
2: sure. Oh, absolutely, Raimi yeah, like, legacy. Yeah, man, yeah. Well, well, and I-
1: what I liked what I liked about that episode too. I mean, I'll get to the other thing in a sec just to keep that going i guess but uh the is up to that point when we get to that little scene where because i guess yeah you say it's not really a spoiler at this point because people don't talk about when ted ramey shows up with the damn necronomicon i thought i thought it was just going to be like that scene was like a going to be like a a wink and a nod to like
2: Like a throwaway scene.
1: Yeah, kind of a throwaway scene because they had already been going to like the whatever multiple shows are being filmed and that little public access thing. And <laughs> then like when the dude starts saying, Oh, I can I can read a little bit of Candarian and I was like, uh I was like, Okay, but <laughs> it's not gonna go anywhere because it's just like a little and then basically how the rest of the episode pretty much turned I was like, Oh shit, like I didn't see that coming. I was generally or genuinely surprised that the rest of the episode took on, not that it was that one s- setting, but like as it t- kind of took over the whole studio, and I was it, it, what it felt like to me. It felt very for people who have seen Ash versus Evil Dead, uh oh. the show um that they did on Stars. It felt very reminiscent of that, almost like a you know a modernized kind of mm-hmm. comedic take on it, which I was perfectly fine with. I was pretty happy, but to me, it, it showed it gave like a quick snapshot example of. Because I know this was a big question um, post Evil Dead 2013 was like, can you do like Raimi's style of Evil Dead without like Ash being so prominent? And to me, that short said, yes, if you make other interesting characters, you can. But that's the kind of thing you have to write interesting characters that people will have fun with. And because that was a big part of the Raimi version of Evil Dead. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think and I love agree. every
2: character in that segment. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that that Bob Ross imitation guy. Holy shit, is yeah. he entertaining. <laughs> and
1: I think that was really the strength of the episode that might get overlooked because of where it goes is the fact that they established characters that we... I I, I, don't, I don't know if saying cared about is, an, is the right thing, but that were interesting and compelling. You kind of wanted yeah. to see where the characters would go, even if none of the... the rainy stuff even happened i was just kind of interested to see how is this going to turn into horror and what's going to go on so when they kind of band up to fight the deadites i was like holy shit like Mm -hmm. that's that's how to do it that's how to do homages to things from the past put it in the future not do it exactly the same introduce new like that is an example of people want to know without totally changing it you know but anyways um oh and i was just i was going to ask but I, i didn't want to forget to say that to You have Evil Dead two thousand thirteen as a ten out of ten. So what do you what's your what would you rank the original?
2: Uh the original is a ten out of ten. Absolutely. But it's a different kind of ten out of ten. Right. Because obviously we're talking about a micro budget compared to a multi million dollar budget for the twenty thirteen. Um you you have to give it to Raimi for I mean, that movie was revolutionary at the time. I mean, it (laughs) it put independent horror on the map and you know, um it also set the standard for making a cheap horror movie that can make a hundred million dollars in the theater, um, you know, which is kind of what the Bloomhouse kind of formula is right now. But I, yeah, um, they're both 10 out of 10s for me, but for very different reasons, because I've already talked about how there's no comedy in 2013. Um Whereas uh, obviously the OG, maybe it's not intentional comedy, but there's definitely some funny stuff in the original as opposed to Evil Dead 2, which has a lot more intentional comedy in it. But yeah, I mean, I love all of them. I love every Evil Dead movie for different reasons. I love Army of Darkness because it's a badass action movie with, you know, uh, Harryhausen style walking skeletons. You know, I love the Evil Dead movies, you know, because of the Deadites, because of Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi's direction, everything else. I love the 2013 version because of its fucking brutality. It's one of the most brutal modern-day horror movies out there. There are multiple homages in there uh, to other horror movies. We see Jason's machete. We see Leatherface's chainsaw in the movie. So um, it's just I just remember having the ear-to-ear grin in the theater watching the remake and nothing... Probably nothing until The Witch in 2015 really gave me that same sense of, wow, I just watched something really fucking cool. So, you know, like I said, I understand that I'm in the minority on the remake and that most people don't consider it a perfect film like I do, but I literally will die on that hill. There's nothing wrong with that 2013 remake to me. Like, every frame is perfect, in, in my humble opinion. Oh, man, you should
1: have been on the Evil Dead show.
2: And that point. Yeah, yeah, but I don't like I don't like JP. <laughs> no. Nope. I'm kidding JP, I love you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: oh man. What a knife fight between those three? That should be our burning question. We we should do who wins knife fights amongst all podcasts. So we'll have like the 22 shots guys in a in a knife fight, who would win? We'll put the exploding head guys in a in a in a knife fight and see Hole win. We, we got to do it with Derek and cinema attack. <laughs> I mean, I, th- this could I, be a whole show,
1: <laughs> a knife fight. I would, well, for 22 shots, since they got brought up first mood, spends a significant I mean, amount a person- of time outdoors. So I would go with moods just based on that. Now there could be knowledge of JP and Jeremy. I just don't know of, but based on what I know about the three moods is like the outdoors guy. So he probably uses the most, you know, physical tools, there to do go. stuff with.
3: He's, he's powered by maple syrup. <laughs> and, and oh, man, that maple syrup. Milk. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Anyway,
1: um,
2: discussion for another time, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've done the Evil we Dead ripoff, off for so one day there. we'll do the Evil Deads, I guess, way down the line. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, I think that started with me talking about Creepshus, and it's back to Venom for his final uh, entry, if you got all one.
2: Right. Uh, the last one, uh, okay, this this movie, man, this is a movie, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of the movie that this particular studio has put out, um, then you're just, you know, you're going to like this one. It's, it's right along the same lines. It's cheesy dialogue, you know, intentionally bad acting, maybe not the greatest effects. And the studio I'm talking about is SRS uh, Films. Uh, Makers of such movies as *She Kills* and uh, what was the what was the the kaiju one, Derek? Uh, there's a
3: few Rego. of them. Rago, oh, yeah,
2: Rego, right, something like that. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway, so if you're familiar with SRS's stuff, then you know that they're an ultra indie, micro budget, you know, film studio making movies as cheaply as possible. But you know, a lot of times they end up being very entertaining. So the movie I'm talking about today is their latest movie, and it is called Virus Shark. Uh, (laughs) In this world, uh, the world is ravaged by a new virus. Get this. It's Shovid 1. So instead of COVID-19, it's the shark virus ID-1. Shovid (laughs) 1. And basically the infection is being spread to people, of course, through shark bites. And there's there's a series, there's a few sharks that actually are, are able to spread the virus, but there's one main, like, super shark that's all, like, mutated and whatnot. Obviously rendered in poor CG, but, you know, that again, that's SRS's style, so... Um, there's not really a whole lot I can say about this movie. I mean, I, I gave you pretty much three quarters of the story already. it's It's just a bunch of scientists trying to figure out a cure for this um, virus. Apparently in the film, the virus has overtaken the world to the point where there's only a few pockets of human beings left. And this is like the last research facility still working in the world. They're trying to get a, uh, they're trying to get the antivirus, the vaccine, if you will. And, you know, hilarity ensues from there. You know, you've got some crazy characters over the top, stupid characters, you know, characters that make you wince and cringe um, you know, one or two likable characters that you kind of want to see get through. But yeah, um, I-, I could really only recommend this movie to fans of SRS fans of straight to video. Um, you know, like I said, the ultra indie micro budget sect of the horror community would probably really get into this movie. Um, it's not really for me. Ultimately, I mean, I I had fun watching it, but I had fun laughing at it. I wasn't laughing with it. So if you're the kind of person, you know, mystery science theater fan who likes to make fun of bad movies, then, hey, this might be for you. But I mean, the movie had its qualities and it, it had its charm and little part in certain parts here and there. But. For the most part, it's just not really for me. But like, like I said, if you're a fan of that kind of cinema, check it out. Virus Shark, currently available on VOD. And it's oh. a short one, too. It's only an hour and 14 minutes, so at least it's not a long journey. Oh, <laughs> it's a Mark Polonia film. Yes, sir. Yep. Oh, yeah, I, I I always struggle with how to kind of review these types of movies because I can't I can't compare an SRS movie to, like, The Godfather. You know, that that would be just objectively wrong to do but you still you know i I still want to look at this and compare it to other srs movies i've seen it's definitely not a favorite i think she kills is still my favorite i mean come on a movie about a killer vagina what's there what's not the love there so yeah like i said srs is very much an acquired taste and if you have that taste then you're going to love virus shark just as much as the other movies but if you're not the biggest fan of the you know the ultra indie then you can avoid this one Not nah, a be definitely not worth paying for anyway
3: <laughs> oh yeah can't wait for sharks of the corn oh yeah can't wait for that. <laughs> uh, that's another one is that, is
1: that already out on physical release it is sharks of Which the corn Sh- uh sharks of the corn i think
2: oh that's actually out already <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think it might be out on physical
3: release, which means it'll I'm end waiting
2: up. for Nightmare on Shark Street.
3: <laughs> yeah, that one's yeah, I, I still got to check out my copy of Bad CGI Sharks. Friday the <laughs> Shark Team. Oh,
0: they're
3: so good. <laughs> How is Sharks still my favorite? That movie's hilarious. I don't uh, think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's that's the, that's the one from the same guy who did She Kill, the, the Ron Bonk did that one. Oh, okay, it, Ron Bonk, yeah. That yeah.
2: Very cool.
3: Yeah, he's. it's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> if you like She Kills, you like House Shark.
2: Oh, then I have to check it out then. I, I watched <laughs> She Kills. I liked it so much. I got it directly from Ron because uh, they were out of it on the SRS website. But he contacted me out of nowhere and said, hey, hey, I'll get you a copy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's fun.
2: Yeah, so that's a virus shark, Mike. That's it for me.
1: All right, next up, uh Derek, what you got for your final one?
3: uh I finally checked out uh well, this is actually not a new movie it's a movie from last year that i that I kinda didn't check out at the right time because of everything that was going on and what you know it was filmed and you know it was a pandemic horror movie it's host from you know, the shutter uh pandemic zoom movie uh and the reason why I didn't check this out when it first came out is because, yeah, this is getting too real when movies start to incorporate this shit. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't watch this right now. Plus, you know, it's like kind of like I'm always iffy with like those, you know, technology like horror slash found footage movies where it's like a desktop filming, it. Kind of like a, the den or something like that. It's kind of like that or unfriended. And uh, but I actually liked it more than I thought I was gonna. It's actually one of the better ones of these type of movies, I think. Uh, I could hear people saying it's cliché, but for what they had and what they did with it, it's actually pretty solid. And short runtime, it goes right by, and you know, good tension building. There was actually a few th- scenes where I actually was like, "Whoa!" because it was cool. And I, more, one of my favorite end credit sequences ever. It was so cool when they did the end credits for this movie because I wasn't expecting it. and I thought I was still watching it, and it was like, "Wow, this is the end credits. That's interesting." It's kind of cool, but yeah, I really enjoyed Host. I wish I did get to see it from uh, last year. Uh, good, good flick. Good flick. Yeah, you were talking about like movies that
1: hit close to home, and it it made me think like, what what's the difference when when people are watching movies that come out of like, you know, real world situations as opposed to like things from the past, like basically like an example would be like, you know, with the pandemic going on, um, all these like, you know, pandemic related movies that are going to spread out. Well, now the people that are going to be watching them actually kind of experienced it. Now everyone experienced it in a different way, somewhat depending on where you live, what the rules were, if it personally, you know, affected friends or family, all that kind of stuff. The difference between that and like, you know, watching a movie about like World War Two or something, because, you know, obviously a crazy grand scale uh, situation with that. But there's not many people around anymore that actually has firsthand experience with that. So I just kind of like wondered like how, how because I'm thinking in my lifetime, I, I would I guess right now the two major, major events would be 9-11 and the pandemic. So, like, any movies to come out of those two events where I can actually, you know, somewhat relate to, like, oh, you know, this is what it makes me think of and what was I doing at that time of my life. So, I always find that kind of interesting to see the dynamic of when movies kind of hit close with cataclysmic events or some type of huge event in society and where, you know... Future generations might be more reflecting back on it, relating it to what they're reading in history books, as opposed to the people that are like now that are actually like, wow, like that's really what it felt like.
2: Mm. I'm I'm the complete opposite, um, not in my review of the movie, but in how the real world affects my movie watching. I, I It doesn't at all, period. Like, you know, when the pandemic started, you know, I heard about all these people going out and watching and buying You know, virus movies and and outbreak movies and things like that. And it's like I had no desire to do it whatsoever. I, you know, obviously with Fresh Cuts, me and Mike have to watch a new movie every week. And it's obviously a very specific one that we pick ahead of time. So, um I don't like get into that mood where I want to watch something like after nine 11, you know, I had no desire to watch terrorist movies that just didn't affect me at all. It's weird that the real world doesn't affect my movie watching now to the movie itself. Um, I'm going to say that I am maybe a little bit lower on host than most people. I still say it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. It's, it's just a step or two below. Great to me though. And my biggest issue with the movie is the third act. Um, without giving away too many spoilers, um, the, the, the last surviving member of the movie still holding the laptop and walking around the house with it. Just it's nonsensical to me. There's nobody else on the zoom call. Everyone else is gone, be they dead or just disconnected or whatever the case may be. But the point is, ain't nobody on the zoom call at that point, And this girl still walking around with her laptop, um, which kind of bothers me if it was a phone and she was using it as a flashlight, it would make more sense to me, but she's literally walking around with a open laptop in her hands. Very reminiscent of this segment from VHS two, um, you know, where the girl's trapped in her house with some kind of entity and she's walking around with her laptop. So there's a few kind of, ah, what's the word I'm looking for? Just logistical things that kind of bother me with with the movie. The performances are great. The story is great. Um, I do want to pretty much say how fucking stupid are you to think that you can do a Ouija session on Skype. I mean, we've known for hundreds of years you're not supposed to do, you're not supposed to use a Ouija by yourself. Well, guess what? If you're on a fucking Zoom call with six other people, you're still by yourself. It doesn't make any sense that they think they're safe in that scenario. And then when shit starts happening, they're all like surprised. Like, oh, my God, it's real. No shit. So, yeah, there's some there there's some plot things in there that bother me. Overall, it's still a really good movie. I do enjoy it. I don't think I'll ever revisit it. Maybe just to look at Gemma some more because, yes, I'm sorry, but the pig in me is going to come out a little bit. I fucking fell in love with Gemma. I don't know what it is about her look, but I dig it. She's got that, like, English-Asian uh, weird look to her. I don't know. I can't describe it. Anyway, point is, yes, it's a good movie. It's a, it, it's borderline great movie. I know a lot of people are calling it, like, at the end of 2020, it was on a lot of uh, top spots on people's top tens. Maybe not necessarily people in our community, you know, podcasters, but watching like youtube videos like top 10 horror of 2020 i saw the host as or a host as number 1 on a lot of them and yeah that i just don't agree with i mean it, it, ultimately host wasn't even in my top 20 for 2020 now granted i may watch more movies than people that are doing youtube top 10s you know like watch mojo or you know any of those other youtube channels that do top 10 lists but Yeah, host just a little below where everybody else has it. Just because, again, I'm a found footage guy. I look for little things in found footage to either make me say, oh, that was cool and clever. Um, I forget what the name of the movie was. God damn it. It was something like the Smithfield incident or something like that. Um, that was in that was a found footage movie, but it was aliens. It was an alien invasion. But the way that they did that movie was the guy in the movie was missing one of his eyes. So what he did is he created a glass eye and he took the camera out of an iPhone, like an iPhone seven or something, put the camera inside his glass eye so that wherever he went, he could keep filming. See, that may be a little bit of an over-the-top, you know, way to explain why we're able to see every bit of the movie right up until the end, but I, st- I thought it was mildly clever, you know, because cause it's something that actually happens in real life. I looked it up after I watched the movie, and there are people out there that can put phone cameras inside their glass eye and put, like, a little lithium battery inside so that it has a power source and literally can film with it and send it to the internet and whatnot. So... <laughs> It's kind of clever, so like I said, that's part of the reason why Host left me with a sour taste in my mouth, because even though that final couple of minutes was intense, it didn't make sense that she was walking around with that damn laptop. So, you know, good but not great. That's my final assessment of the Host. Walking along <laughs> host, the
3: Host's
1: tree. Yeah, I I thought the Host was good. Um, I thought it was a case of kind of like overachieving for you know the format of movie you're making uh, which is which is good i mean that that's actually to me that's a good scenario when you kind of you almost uh elevate beyond like your means and your format because you know we kind of saw that before a few years ago with unfriended um which i i like the first one the second one not so much but um host you know, follow that kind of format and you know, I would expect to see a lot like of these kinds of movies popping up, popping up more and more as uh these younger generations get old enough to start making their own movies and stuff because obviously people well, not people but just in general the saying of art imitates real life in a lot of cases. So it makes sense that people are going to be incorporating the technology that they've grown up using and still continue to use today. But I mean as far as host I gave it a favorable review, but in the context of, like, going up against, like, the better horror movies of the year, no, it doesn't – to me, it doesn't <laughs> stack up with those. Um, yeah. It was perfectly fine for what it was, but let's be real about where that falls, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't saying it was, like, amazing or anything. I just – I liked it more than I thought I was going to.
2: Oh, no, dude, you're in the majority. Most people really, really like it. Most people like it more than I do, so.
3: yeah.
2: You know, I I definitely recognize when my opinion differs from the majority of the community and yeah, this is absolutely an example of that. I mean, the praise that I heard for this movie when it came out was just over the top and then when Mike and I watched it for fresh cuts, it's like, well, it's okay, it's good, but yeah, maybe that's like
3: I why I it. waited too because I I heard like a lot of people raving about it too and I didn't want to be you know, I was that's like overhyped. Valid too. Yeah.
2: Obviously, we had to watch it right away for fresh cuts. So, I mean, I technically, we watched it right away. So it was before the hype. Um, but I just didn't. I, obviously, with horror podcasters, you know, we kind of see more movies like this to the point where people are sick of the found footage uh, genre. But as far as like mainstream Hollywood goes, it, it, it's kind of been ignored. We, we don't really get a lot of big budget found footage movies anymore. So Host, it's a product of its time. It came at the exact right time. Uh, The filmmakers, they hit a home run because they, you know, they made it, you know, obviously the pandemic helped. I mean, obviously the pandemic was probably the inspiration for the film, but just, you know, the timing was perfect. Uh, The performances were great. Uh, Even the basic story was okay, even though I have that one fundamental problem with it, especially because like... Um, as part of that Zoom call, that they they had an actual expert, a woman who had done seances many times, and the whole time before anything happens, I'm screaming at the television, you guys are all alone, you know this, right? You can't do a fucking seance by yourself. Uh, So, yeah, so instantly I knew where the movie was going to go, which kind of hinders it a little bit for me, because I don't try to see where a movie is going. For the most part, I try to watch it. I try to go on the journey that the director wants me to go on. And, you know, I judge it from there. But whenever I can see the ending, or maybe not even the ending, but I can see, like, the next half hour, how the next half hour the movie is going to play out, it just takes out the excitement and surprise level of the whole thing. It's like, yep, I called that. Oh, yep, I called that, too. Oh, yep, there's another one. So even though I may not have necessarily called the ending, the fact that I that... The second act was 100% predictable. Eh, kind of affected my review of it. But it's still it's still a really good movie. Like I said, I know I'm talking a lot of negatives, but it, it is a really good movie. I would still really recommend it to anyone, found, found footage fan or not. It's a great movie. Yeah. And hey, for whatever it's worth, there's some good-looking girls in the movie, too. So rock on. Yeah.
1: I think most of your criticism was brought up by just the fact of seeing it on like the best of lists, which is understandable.
2: Yeah. yeah, that was the only thing I was really bringing up is, you know, I just didn't see it as one of the top ten movies of 2020, but, you know, to each his own, once again. I'm not going to argue with anybody.
3: Yeah, for sure. But it, it could
2: definitely be on my like
1: top 20 or 2020, was it? 2020 surprises, because I, I would definitely say I was surprised, as Derek said, how much oh, yeah. I liked it. Um mm-hmm. Definitely. Once I once I saw what it like what kind of movie it was I was like really and then I was like oh yeah that was surprisingly fun and entertaining so sure. if someone wanted to make that list I would definitely probably have it in the top 10 of that
2: and then you got to figure too like I mentioned earlier that you know we watch hundreds of movies a year some of us and you know the people who make like a, a YouTube channels top 10 list they're they're doing a top 10 list for every genre so they're not going to watch 300 horror movies you know they're gonna watch mm. the big ones the theatrical ones you know netflix shutter you know but they're probably not gonna concentrate on like indie vod as much as like we do here so yeah i i see people having it in their top 10 if say they only watched 50 movies Especially since the theaters were closed in 2020, if 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 it's the kind of person that only watches theatrical and lar- and like popular streaming ones, like I said, Netflix, Prime, Shutter, stuff like that, then I guess I can kind of see it being near the top of their list, because because ultimately all the movies, like when we did our top ten show, most of our movies were indies, obviously since we didn't have theaters in 2020. Obviously, you know, a lot of us still had the popular stuff like, you know, The Invisible Man and The Hunt and stuff like that. But our our top 10s for 2020 were filled with things like Possessor and VFW and, you know, movies that didn't get theatrical releases that, you know, really impressed us that maybe mainstream movie watchers probably missed, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm never going to if someone tells me the host or host was their favorite movie of 2020, I'm not going to argue with them. Um, it probably is the best found footage movie of 2020. I could at least give it that. I don't remember any going above what host did, but yeah. Host, the
3: host, <laughs> the hostess, hostess. We got the and stuff. And of
2: course, you know, Gemma will be my future Mrs. Venom too. So, you know, <laughs> we'll get there. I'll, I'll tell Mrs. Venom why. What... <laughs> oh, she knows. She was with me when I watched it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, she put I, my whole pass.
1: I am kind of interested to see, though, what the next evolution might be of this format, because pretty much so far, most of the ones we're getting that, you know, it's over like, you know, their fake Skype or Zoom or whatever quirky name they have for the movie. They tend to be like possession demonic forces somehow. So at the risk of, like, not having, like, you know, 20 clones of those come out every year, I I like to see kind of like what um, the movie Searching did. Although Searching was, I would say, probably more thriller or drama than horror, but something something that is heavy on the usage of the technology, but not just the same old like, oh, we did something to conjure up a demon and now the demon's messing with us because I'm not you know, there's always room for. Like uh, copycat or clone movies, as long as they're done well. But I would like to see. Let's see how other how this technology can be used in other ways. And I'm sure it'll come. It's just you know mm-hmm. you're always kind of waiting for that next movie to kind of like flip the script on it on oh, it every. You
3: know, on so. a side note, I also watched Conga TNT, which was also made during the pandemic. And oh boy, <laughs> oh,
1: what what is this called now?
3: Conga TNT. It's a SRS. Released oh, it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's something.
2: Oh, well, it's got to be better than corona zombies. Oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs>
3: Anything better be. is
2: better than corona zombies.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming soon, no more ruin hell, no underwater kaiju, Konga TNT. <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: what did this side conversation did this start from Derek's pick or your pick? Yeah, it was my it was my final okay. pick. <laughs> All right. So, okay, for mine, um, I actually don't have any movie to share, so I'm just going to bring up a, a, a game I played. So I believe it was after our last episode, because, yeah, I think I've had it for two weeks, I managed to snag a PlayStation 5. I got a bundle from GameStop because at the time it was basically... Get a bundle, or you know, wait for someone to restock and start that rat race all over again. So, just went with a bundle. But then I found out, fortunately, that if you get a bundle from GameStop, you can actually take the games from the bundle back to GameStop and swap them out for any other uh, games you want. Um, so I kept the Spider-Man game because I've heard really great things about that. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I've played like. Uh, couple levels of it it's it's really awesome really smooth like it really shows off the power of next gen consoles just it loads extremely fast and the fluidity in your motion because i mean you're literally like swinging building to building and there's like it never chops it you know it never breaks frame rate at least from my you know i'm there's probably people that could judge it way better than my eyes can at this point, but from what I was seeing, it was just a masterpiece and then um of gameplay I mean you know I'm not uh-huh. far enough into the game to make those statement overall on the game itself, but just how it looks, how it plays, basically the functionality is great, but uh the other two I traded in one was Hitman, and I can't oh I think the other one was like uh, Marvel Avengers Avengers, yeah and I wasn't, like, when I got the bundle, I wasn't 100% going to turn and I wanted to look in the reviews, but uh, Hitman had good reviews, but that's just not my kind of game, and then the Marvel Avengers ones, I was thinking about keeping just because, oh, well, if anything, is something I can throw on and play with my kids, because the bundle came with a second controller, too, but the reviews were pretty mediocre on it, so I, like I ended it. up, trait you did? Okay. I girl. finished
2: it, yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's not great. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say great, but if you like, just, you know, beat ups yeah, it's an old school um, it's time, good time, right? Yeah, that's all it is. It it's like a hack and slash, but with Avengers characters. Cool.
1: Uh, well, I end up so one of the games I traded and got was Devil May Cry Five, which is I think it's a PS4 game that was like remastered for, for PS5. But I actually never had it for PS4. And Devil May Cry, up to that point, um, I had them all except for you remember when they did that remake? Uh. It was, like, 1 through 4, which is, like, the original run. Then they did, like, a right. Devil May Cry something where it was, like, almost kind of, like, reimagined the Dante character. Um and was then it even Dante? Because a
2: couple of the games, Dante wasn't the main character.
1: It might have been a different guy. I, yeah. I, I can't I can't remember 100% the POV of that game, but I just know it's, like, they kind of messed with the main character. Uh, but then five came out for ps4 but i never got it so but i've always liked them and man this one is pretty damn great i mean it probably helps that you know it's been remastered for ps5 but just the sound design and devil mccragans have always been beautiful to look at is there a ton of depth in the story no you're you're a demon hunter fighting demons basically and Doing the usual, powering up your character until they're damn near indestructible by by the time you're at the last boss. But uh, it's another winner for me for the Devil May Cry franchise, so I'm happy so with that. PS Five. You is said that great. you picked
2: up the P. You said you picked up the PS Four version, right? Did no, no, no PS Five version. Oh, you got the PS Five. okay. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I, for some yeah. reason,
2: I thought I heard you say you got the PS Four version for your PS. Oh no. Uh, no, no. I, because they don't, yeah. Do, I was yeah, saying that's that. What, I, that's, I, I, you know, the, the confusion for gamers.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I know because especially now we're so early still in the life of the PS5 that I my PS4 is still now it's hooked up to the main TV that was the main TV and I, it, the PS4 is still getting plenty of usage in my house because I still have a couple games that I'm probably not going to bother migrating over just because I want to dedicate every. Like gigabyte of storage to the PS5 do actual PS5 stuff, and then they're just
2: quick too. God damn! I filled I I filled up my Xbox in like two weeks, and I filled up my PS5 in less than a month, probably like three weeks. Damn! And it was
1: all new purchases. What's that? Yeah, all. And this was all, like, brand-new PS5 purchases? Like, nothing you were migrating? No, 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 I have actually...
2: No, I I have the digital PS5, so I I don't have any... um, yet. Uh, For the Xbox Series X, though, that thing is 100% backwards backwards compatible all the way back to the original Xbox. Um, That's why I feel like Xbox is crushing this generation so far. Obviously, we're only six months into the generation right now, into, what is this, the ninth generation of video games? So um to go but because of xbox's backwards compatibility um it's absolutely crushing it so i mean because i i I put in an xbox 360 game the other day and it plays even better than it did 10 years ago so i bet yeah my (laughs) ps5 barely gets touched i mean the only thing i've done on it because i i beat avengers on xbox but uh, I finished uh, Spider Man on the PS5, and that's literally the only game I've played on the PS5. My Xbox yeah. is getting all the attention because I'm rediscovering yeah, the if... games that didn't play on the uh, the Xbox One. You know, all the original oh. Xbox games like Fable and you know the original Halo and shit like that. Like I've been playing that yeah. stuff on Series X and absolutely loving it. So. Yeah, I... it perform about the same, honestly. The 4K looks good on both. Uh, HDR, the 60 frames a second, whenever they offer it, looks good on both. Um, the storage is the same. They're both a terabyte. So, it, it, you know, it's really going to be more about library. Obviously, Sony is always going to have more, um, what's the term?
1: Exclusive. Uh, exclusive
2: games uh, for the PS5. You know, Sony's going to have more exclusives than Xbox, but um, Xbox is going to have more games total. So it's just going to be a matter of what you value. But I'm I'm such a hardcore gamer. I buy every console as soon as it comes out. I actually just recently got my second PS5 <laughs> for the bedroom. <laughs> oh, wow. damn. Yeah, I'm that kind of guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if I was buying PS5 strictly for gaming, I probably would have held off on even getting it because yeah it's kind of light on actual original games at the moment and when i say original i mean like actual ps5 not right playing right. like ps4 on it um but i know i've spoken about this before i don't know if on the show but when i when i upgraded to like having a 4k home theater just everything i wanted to get everything at once because i i get kind of like anal about it where like you upgrade one thing to 4k but it's like what's really true 4k because everything else in your thing isn't for you know how it gets like kind of confusing like that so i was trying to like time everything and have the money set away to like okay once i go 4k on one piece of this system i want to be able to and obviously you know it doesn't have to be the same day but at least within the the purchasing period and uh the tv and receiver i got at the same time i knew the ps5 it was a matter of like when i could get it but i just lucked out that like a couple weeks after i was able to be right online when they restocked so um yeah i'm glad i got it when i did though just because man watching 4k movies and i i didn't buy a ton yet i just bought a few and i just to be able to check them out yeah, it looks pretty damn amazing. So,
2: oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. And my and my comment on that is Shadow of the Colossus, let's do
2: it. Hell yeah, I would I would love a 4K Shadow of the Colossus. Holy shit. That game is amazing.
3: Yeah. Konamiya Everything soundtrack.
2: from that studio is good. Ico yeah. was great. Yeah, just, oh, that studio kills. I
3: want that soundtrack yeah. in the final, too. That soundtrack's amazing. Yeah.
2: Same thing. All their scores are really good, too. Yep.
3: All right, Mike. <laughs> yeah. What's next?
1: Um, What's next? News, because we have covered everything we watched and, I guess, what we played, in my case. So, news. Not much.
3: Robert England
1: recurring theme. <laughs> Robert England. Uh, he hasn't spoken out, so everyone should do a health welfare check on him because there's no articles about him in the last couple of weeks that I've seen, at least. Um. So, uh, everyone, let's hope Robert England's doing I watch
2: him on that show day. that he did last year. What the hell was the name it's of that? that show? That Travel Channel show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
3: I only watched the first episode of that, he's like...
2: Yeah, it's something of terror, like Tales yeah. of Terror, something like that, yeah. Towns of series. Terror.
3: Welcome <laughs> to my town, We're all going to talk about this place. I like
2: that one, though, because uh, for anybody who Welcome hasn't watched that series, town. they actually tackle real uh, legends and myths, so they're not, like, made-up horror stories, you know? They actually supposedly occurred, so... Yeah, right.
3: It's not- yeah, all I need is a crossover with the Jeff Goblin one, though. Oh, God, no! <laughs> what are you doing on my set i'm here to talk about your shoes the only,
2: <laughs> the only thing i want to see robert england and jeff goldblum to do together is fight <laughs> the <fly laughs> get them to brain. fight each other problem is goldblum's one of those tall lanky guys those guys are always hard to beat you must go faster <laughs> there you go. Go all fast. right so what's in the news mike
1: uh, um yeah i know I'll- I'm like, did I even say news item? (laughs) Um, Well, since we are or since my last uh, what we watched was a video game, Mm -hmm. one news item I got is Last of Us is actually officially getting a uh, remake for PS5. There were I was pretty sure it was going to happen, but I was also equally surprised that it wasn't announced like ahead of time because you would think That With the PS5 coming out, one of the biggest games, it would be a selling point for all the people that didn't get it on PS4. Because I would have bought it, like, when I got my PS5, it was already available. But anyway, so for anyone, I guess it's a small camp of folks that wanted it but didn't get it for PS4. Very small. Yeah.
2: Look, ultimately, Um, um, the original Last of Us still looks and plays amazing. It's not going to be that much better on PS5. It's going to run a little bit better. It's going to load a little bit faster. But ultimately, I don't think there's going to be any difference in resolution and gameplay. Uh, Personally, in my opinion, this is the biggest waste of time, money, and resources that Sony could have possibly done. To do a remake of a game that is less than 10 years old, that was already a million-plus seller... It doesn't make sense. All that money and resources could have gone to make another new game, either either last of us three or a new IP altogether. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, anybody who listens to me knows I famously am not big on remakes, reboots, everything else. You know, I, it's like a lack of originality to me and sometimes it upsets me. And when I heard that last of us was getting redone, I literally yelled, what the fuck? I mean, do they really just have money falling out of their pockets? That they can do, like what? What is the point? How many copies are really gonna sell? Honestly, it's, the original <laughs> game looks amazing now.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't I, know. Whatever. I, I mean, I've you te- make a point about if somebody didn't play it originally, but it's like I, you can buy it now for twenty bucks. Go fucking play it. <laughs> Maybe less in some places. You could probably get it used for even less. Well, oh yeah, I I, 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 I probably don't waste time and money.
1: I usually don't. Tend to buy like these um, re- remastered versions. Now I'll do it for like you know if it's like three four, four generations ago, like the Resident Evil two uh, remaster I did, but they also kind of built that from ground up. It wasn't because like the Resident the original Resident Evil one, it was more just like taking the PlayStation game, and kind of you know throw new paint on it. But the Resident Evil two, they actually kind of rebuilt how. Function and everything, so it was really cool. In this case, yeah, if I already had Last of Us PS4, I'd never spend the money just to say, okay, now I have it on PS5. Similarly, GTA 5, I had it at the very end of the PS3 life cycle, so I never regot it for PS4 because I just was like, I'm not spending another 60 bucks just for it to have better graphics. It's not It's not worth it for me. Uh, I just happened... I just happened to be one of the people that um, I kind of saw the timeline of... Because you remember, Last of Us 2 was originally supposed to come out a lot sooner. I probably would have ended sure. up buying it if it had come out when it originally was supposed to. But it went with two or three delays, and it pushed it all the way into uh, when the PS5 was coming out later in the year. So I kind of did the timeline. And because, Venom, I'm not in your situation where like gaming takes up... You know, that percentage of my free time, I just don't have the time. I figured for me personally, there's no harm in me just waiting for a PS5 version.
2: Sure, sure. That's why. So, yeah, it's it's really. (laughs) All all of the games that came Uh... out in the last year or two on Xbox One have 4K patches for Xbox Series X. So yeah. it, it just like I said, Xbox is just crushing this generation. See, I gotta I'm get on, not, I gotta get on I'm, Scott's show so I can sing the praises of Xbox. <laughs> oh,
1: blah, blah. I'm, not, I'm not even anti Xbox. My problem is oh, no, no, I, no. I know for sure I was gonna I, I was gonna get a PS5. So if I went out and got the Xbox first, I'd be like, well, now I'm gonna have two consoles. I don't have time to like even justify one of them. So now I look like a real a hole. With yeah. two of these brand new shiny consoles sitting here that I never play, but uh, yeah, oh I mean, hey, the Xbox my PS5 was collecting really dust for
2: a while. And
3: hey, I'm the guy, and I'm the guy who's like, I just unlocked Kirby and Super Smash Bros. Let's do this!
2: Right. <laughs> oh,
3: oh man, I
2: just unlock all
1: about the Switch.
2: Choke and punch! Oh yeah, my Switch. <laughs> I don't think my Switch has been turned on in like a year and a half. <laughs>
1: My my kids are on it all the time. They actually like to play Mario with me, so I'm I'm always down.
3: Super Smash Brothers was, Mario levels Super Smash Brothers definitely made me play my Switch more. I'm just beating the shit out of people. <laughs> yeah, they love
1: that Mario Kart and, uh, they're at that age where as long as it's fun they'll play it. Mm-hmm. Um Next news item, this is kind of a light one. They're making uh, replica comics from Lost Boys, The Vampires Everywhere and Destroy All Vampires. Yeah. I saw that. I guess they're making them in like 3D versions and regular versions. And as of right now, I like went to the site. the The standard ones are sold out, but the 3D are actually still available. <laughs> now, I actually got my picture with the one from the movie. But the funny thing about that one is not an actual comic. It's just a cover, but there's nothing really inside. But I guess there these are actually gonna be actual comics. The the deluxe one are 24 pages each with 3D glasses and all that stuff. Standards more just like buying two <laughs> comics. I guess this would depend on your Lost Boys fandom, or if you're just a horror movie like uh memorabilia collector because I'd imagine this is something that it could be once it's gone, it's gone. Like, I don't know how many times they're going to keep reprinting it due to demand, but, uh, you know, Lost sure. Boys fans out there, if you want something for your display shelf, if you're into this kind of thing, it's at bottleneckgallery.com. So go find it. Pick it up. I guess it looks like 25 bucks, which is, you know, way more expensive than a it usually is. But... That's collector stuff. So,
3: can I ask a question? Does I'll it try come, to answer it. Does it does it come with a keychain of the saxophone guy? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I, I don't see that listed. Existed. Oh, I wish. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in like the style of like the WWE figures, yeah, with the yeah. sax guy.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that would you know what would be amazing if you know when if Scream Factory ever puts out the Lost Boys, they they release it with a necker of the saxophone guy. <laughs>
1: I mean, they should, because I think, like, maybe Venom could probably answer better. I don't know at the time if he, if the sax, uh, Tim Capella is his name, if he had such a meme following. But, I mean, over the years, he's developed one to where they could probably put out a figure and it would sell.
3: She's a GIF everywhere. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
3: um, and it's, When it yep. came out, I don't
2: remember him being the pop culture icon that he became. It was the video era when it finally came out on home video. Um, and then, of course, with the popularity of the Internet in the early 2000s and the late 90s, that's when it started getting a lot more attention. But, yeah, because I saw Lost Boys in the theater and I remember talking about it for weeks afterwards with the various people that had seen it. And Sax Guy never came up in conversation.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't remember when I was a kid, people talk like me and my friend, I remember thinking that. The sax guy in Los Angeles was hilarious, but it really didn't go beyond just kind of the two of us laughing about it. Like, of course, you know, when we were kids, kids, there was no Internet yet. So it left, like other people immediately around you talked about it or cared about it. You didn't find the community of like minded people so easily, but it's definitely something that's like developed over the last 20, 30 years. And now it's just hilarious. You see that GIF everywhere.
3: Second Coming, man. That guy's gonna do yeah. a new album.
1: Well, I mean, all the kids from that era are, pro- are the ones that are, you know, making movies now too. So I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised to see a callback or two <laughs> in movies sometime soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, I think the only other thing I got for news, at least for me, is uh rob zombie supposedly attached to a monsters remake but to clarify i wrote this item down a long time ago like almost it, the news item kind of hit like a day or two after we recorded last so i wrote it down but today before we recorded or started recording i was like looking at the story and right at the top of it it said like an unconfirmed report so i'm like well then it's not so much a story now is it it it's, I guess, something that got thrown out there and, like, a lot of people talked about it. I mean, I guess, it's, like, I don't know if his take would even be comedic or if he'd make it serious or whatnot. There's so few details. But I would assume that it's kind of hard to remake The Monsters as a comedy better than it was already done. So I would assume he would take it in a different direction. Maybe, like, maybe they were really, like, Crazy and monsters, and they were just putting on a public uh, persona to make them seem nice. I don't know, but do you guys have any thoughts on Rob Zombie uh, what, possibly doing a what, Monsters remake?
3: Well, the first thing I'm gonna say, is it's probably gonna be set in the '70s, and it's gonna have the F word a lot. And um, I Sherry Moon's
2: gonna be in how? It.
3: Yeah,
1: how? Wait, how did you guys come to those two conclusions? Because <laughs> that's every well, fucking. Probably because I've seen Rob Zombie. What Zombie's about even? Bob Zombie's uh, encyclopedia would make you think those two things would happen?
3: And then they will have an awkward scene about chicken fucking halfway through the movie, which takes away from the movie. And yeah, yeah. And you
2: gotta wonder what role Bill Mosley is gonna play. You,
3: hmm. you know, you know, William. Uncle Fester, Se-
2: maybe. Or is it the wrong family? That's the wrong family. Grandpa.
3: Grandpa.
2: Grandpa for the monster. William Forsyth
3: right. William Forsy- will play Grandpa Monster and be
2: like, <laughs> Fuck you! clown. Oh, so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, to answer your question, Mike, I don't care. <laughs> I've I've been very unimpressed by Rob Zombie, both cinematically and And musically for a very long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Devil's Reject. Well, no, Lords of Salem was probably the last thing of his I liked. But, yeah, Uh he's kind of lost his way a little bit. Um, And the music, we had this conversation privately a while back. I don't like his solo music at all. Mm -hmm. I like White Zombie. There's a few tracks on his first solo album, Hellbilly Deluxe, that are pretty good. But then after that, I lost complete interest. Um, And then as far as his movies go, yeah, I lost interest after 31.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Lords of Salem was my last (laughs) thing. Yeah,
2: I like Lords of Salem. I I loved those rejects. I mean, those rejects is probably still my favorite zombie movie. Um, But Lords of Salem was still really good for an artistic horror film. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure.
3: I don't know. I I don't know. I, I guess he it's definitely something that I might have to see some clips or something like not even like a whole clip just to see the look of what the, how the film's going to look. I'm just curious if it, even if it does come up or it's not even true, we don't even know, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, cause when, when this first hit the internet, I mean, I probably should double check at the time. Cause I, I really didn't research anything because people were immediately talking about it. So I assumed it was somewhat more confirmed, but then sometimes what I'll do is I'll, when I make show notes ahead of time, I'll, I'll write down like a rough kind of outline of the items I have. And then before we record, I'll actually bring up the articles on the laptop. So I have them in front of me when we're talking about it. Um, So this time, I I did that and like I'm I was scrolling through the thing and it said you know unconfirmed so I was like well why do people make such a big conversation
2: about it when we don't even know for sure if it's happening but you know that's I, what I would do in want. our community they they take a little piece of information and they blow it up and, until it's practically a national news item but it just didn't deserve to be
3: remember when yeah. Rob remember when Rob Zombie was supposed to do a remake of The Blob the same thing yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, although I did hear that one was actually legit, it just fell through because he he was getting, I guess, too much pushback from the studio, and he said "f this" and just dropped the project. Um, but that's the that's the other kind of, I guess, downside of things, even when they turn out to be legitimate, I guess. The downside of things getting reported now in such early stages is like maybe there was some point where certain things were legitimately supposed to happen. But, you know, when it's a 50 step process to get something done, maybe not jump the gun at step one or two to say, oh, it's happening because maybe it needs to get to step 20 before there's a realistic chance that, you know, it actually gets followed through on.
3: Hey, hey, got Hey, guys, remember when there was supposed to be a remake of Cujo where it was going to be a robot dog?
2: Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I should shut up because that's kind of the same direction that the Child's Play remake went, and I did like that. So, I don't know. True. (laughs) Well, I mean, we we,
1: we brought it up on the Evil Dead show. Um, How many years did we spend hearing about an Evil Dead remake that was on the way? And then it never happens. And then, like, overnight, all of a sudden the show happened. Like, they announced it, all of a sudden trailer, and then the show happened. Like, so things can flip on a dime. But, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I remember them talking about a third Evil Dead movie. It seemed like every single year, at least one or two pieces of news would fall through to make you think it might be happening. And then finally, you widen up to it, and you're like, okay, it's (laughs) nowhere near close to happening. And then it happened, but
4: mm-hmm. so yeah, hey, just, what,
1: what's the lesson to take? I don't know. I guess when you see a tra- trailer you know what's happening, or when you hear about a trailer for those that don't watch trailers. And
3: all and all that's happened is I'm having flashbacks of the orgy scene of the Spartacus T V show. Oh no. <laughs>
1: so yeah, Spartacus, right? Was <laughs> it was wasn't that the lead in to Ash Evil Dead? Was yeah, it,
3: it's a rainy show.
1: Yeah. Which Spartacus in itself was just as graphic, but in other ways, I guess.
3: Yeah, (laughs) it was like Lucy Lawless going balls deep. Yeah, Yeah.
1: There was a lot. They did not uh, skimp on the uh, gratuity in that show. Not Mm -hmm. a complaint at all, but I'm just saying, like, they. And it wasn't like, you know, certain shows, I'll say, like, bigger, I guess successful wide audience shows you tend to get a lot of it in like the first and second seasons and then once like the, i guess quote unquote the stars are bigger now you start seeing less of it but in spartacus nah it was pretty much from beginning to the end of the series it kept up
2: it was only a couple of seasons right i think like three three, three. it was
1: oh. i think there was four because three or four was, yeah there was the two with the original Spartacus guy, right? And then they did the prequel, which was like Gods of the Arena, which it was like how the how the glad the I guess uh, gladiators or gladiators from the first two seasons got to that house, and then after that they, they continued the actual storyline of the uh, the uh, rebellion,
3: I guess. Yeah, because uh, the thing the dude. thing the thing is the got the main actor who played Spartacus actually died. Mm-hmm. yep okay. So the so, recast.
1: Yeah, he was young too, man. It was it sucked. I I didn't, I thought they were just gonna end. Well, I knew they were gonna do the prequel, which didn't revolve around Spartacus anyway. So I didn't think the prequel was in trouble. but I thought they might just stop it. But I mean, the new guy ended up being good. It took a little bit to adjust, but I think that's natural when someone steps into a role you're used to seeing someone, but. The smartest thing the show did is it didn't change anything else about the show. Just okay, we need a new actor, obviously, but everything else just as graphic, indulgent, and over the top.
3: Overall, anyways, yeah. Anyways, from that new segment, Spartacus was pretty. Yeah, soft. Spartacus
1: on stars. <laughs> uh, catch it on demand now, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I guess that, that came from talking about Evil Dead. <laughs> Versus or Ash versus, yeah, all
3: from a bad joke. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um. But if we're done with that, then that was all. All the news I had. Do you guys have any news to bring up? Uh,
3: No, just Just one. Oh, go ahead. No, I I was just saying I didn't really look.
2: Okay. Uh, There was only one thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, Obviously, with the release of Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, uh, the Snyder Cut. Obviously, he's uh, kind of a popular director right now for the good or the bad of it, depending on what side of the fence you're on. But anyway, his next film, which, of course, is a horror film, it is Army of the Dead. Um, For those of you who watch trailers, um, unlike I, uh, go ahead and check out the trailer. It is dropping on YouTube Tuesday morning, this Tuesday, so... Probably by the time you hear this episode, because today, as we record this, it's Sunday. So by the time you probably hear this episode, the trailer will be out and it'll be old news anyway. But aside from that, um, after the trailer drops on Tuesday, the movie does come out next month on Netflix. So check that out. It's Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Uh, For those who don't know, it is a Las Vegas based zombie heist film. (laughs) Think about that for a second. <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah.
3: May's, May's going to be pretty so stacked. Think
2: Ocean's Eleven, but with zombies. <laughs>
3: the, the, the Year of Junkie XL Man.
2: I like it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah May's going to be pretty stacked because if that's coming out in May, then there's also a Quiet Place too, right? That's
2: yeah, yeah. We've got finally. more theatrical stuff too. This is going to be on Netflix, but yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. A lot of good uh, stuff coming, and I got a feeling this summer is going to be stacked too. I mean, the theaters will pretty much be open everywhere by, you know, June, July, all the big, all the big movies that got postponed, you know, the, the spirals and the quiet place Two and antlers and all the great stuff that we were looking forward to last year will be coming out this summer. So it's going to be a stacked summer. I I got a feeling me and Mike are going to have a rough time on Fresh Cuts deciding what to do week to week. Hey, Donny Ring's here. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's mostly going to factor like which episodes Don will be on and not (laughs) because he's pretty much been on every episode during the pandemic era because we're doing strictly VOD. But as we go to the theater, it's just going to be a matter of whether he can get to the theater. Then he'll go back to being like the uh, unofficial guest all the time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because right now he's almost
1: gone from guest status to regular host.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you heard that conversation on the Horror Mafia a couple of years ago, but yeah, Don is not a fan of the theater experience. He doesn't like going to the theaters. He prefers to watch Speaking his movies at home. <laughs> so, yeah. If we do theatrical horror. stuff, pretty sure Don won't make it. And then, you know, we'll have to because once the theaters open to more people will be watching horror on opening weekend. Right. So I think getting yeah, guests is gonna be daunting that- a task.
1: That's going to be the big difference is when you're doing strictly VOD, it comes it, it comes down to like, well, besides us two who agreed on something, who else felt like watching what when? At least yeah. when theatricals out, most of our circle podcasting friends that do go to theaters, everyone will be going to see it. So mm-hmm. when we say, hey, we're doing this, it's going to open up uh, the potential with everyone saying, oh, I saw it, I'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, so what the hell now? What What was the original? Man, we, we've been doing this a lot. Today. Was, going, about, uh, you've been it doing
2: it a lot.
3: You've been doing it a lot, <laughs> Michael. But, uh, you know, it, we were talking about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which right. I'm actually excited for. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I actually like, I even like Sucker Punch. I like a lot of Zack Snyder shit. I know a lot of people don't. So I'm kind of curious on it. And, you know, I'm glad he's going back to the zombie genre because I do like the Dawn of the Dead remake. It, you know, it, it's fun for what it is. It, it's fun. Oh, definitely. It's, it's I heavy. like
2: what he did with it. I like the changes he made. I, I was a big fan. And that opening scene is one of the most epic opening scenes in horror cinema. So, yeah. And and, you,
3: and if you think about it, it actually gave us both uh, Zack Snyder and James Gunn, that movie. And it's cool that, you know, they collaborated on the new Suicide Squad recently. Yep, yep. True. So so yeah so it's all coming together it all comes back
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out I I'm I'm always yeah. I'm a big zombie genre fan I know at times it's oversaturated you could say even now it still is but I I, I can't help it I just like the subject I never bought into I, that
2: whole oversaturation I mean you could you could make that argument about about anything in pop culture um, if you're probably. a fan of it you're you're just a fan of it. Like I I will never get sick of zombie films. I mean obviously if they put out a, a streak of like 10 to 20 shitty ones in a row, yeah, yeah I might start to get sick of them, but you know, zombie zombies are such an easy um subgenre to be able to make a good film um that every other zombie movie is usually pretty good, at least for guys like us who love zombies. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in this week's uh, Fresh Cuts episode, I, I kind of leaned... We had the option of two movies, and of course, I leaned on the zombies. So, yeah, we're doing a zombie movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I think you're correct, and it, it really comes down to, like, well, is it oversaturated with bad zombie movies? Because exactly. in that case, yeah, I would definitely get tired of watching bad movies, but that's kind of a, of a result of you know, a lot of the people we talk to are also podcasts and yeah. they are watching as much as possible where if you were only – if you were, like, pushing stuff to the side that you weren't really that interested in seeking out, only trying to watch better stuff, then you might not run into that problem. But
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yep. Uh, all right. Well, if that's it, then that wraps up our news segment. So, in that case we can move on to the burning question.
3: Play that against. music.
0: <laughs> oh, it oh, it All
1: right. And this week's burning question, who wants to hear a burning tweet? Venom does.
2: No he doesn't. <laughs>
1: Venom, can I'm horror podcasts be recorded I'm, I'm in so space? I'm so
2: upset about this.
1: <laughs> Venom, can horror podcasts be recorded in space, though? That's... that's that. Yeah, no, obviously talk. not.
3: Space, the final frontier.
1: <sighs> All right. So, someone, some writer here, I guess her name's Ellie Hunt don't from The Guardian. Don't say
2: her damn name. Don't give her any damn more notoriety than she already fucking has. <laughs> All Stop right.
1: do right. Don't, don't <laughs> look that name up. Um. <laughs> God. So what's interesting is the I everyone because obviously uh, what the second tweet is kind of like a, a head scratcher. The first, uh, her first tweet was actually she she put up a poll and said settle an argument is Alien a horror film, and then she said give reasons why. Well, the results of the poll were yes ninety three point seven percent and no six point three. So I will give it to the people that answered the poll or like at least tried to engage with her. The people are on the right side of this. (laughs) I mean, that's like an over now why it's not a hundred percent we can argue, but you know, 93% is pretty damn overwhelming as a yes. And then the follow-up tweet is really what made people like, be like, huh? Is when she said my argument and she simply put horror cannot be set in space. Now to me, the main problem now uh, we've had many discussions opinions are opinions you can have your own opinion my main problem with it is what she said my argument well that's not really an argument that's just a statement you can call it a hot take or what but horror cannot be set in space well okay but are you going to follow that up with saying why um i think throughout the course of the conversation i don't know if it was her or like minded people to her were trying to say that, well, if it deals with space or certain things, it automatically makes it science fiction, of course well, what this really overlooks to begin with is well, can't movies be hybrids or genre bending combinations blah 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 blah. like if someone wanted to make the argument that alien was a sci-fi horror, I wouldn't argue whether they call it a sci-fi horror or a horror sci-fi, but Um, I'm not even going to address that is alien in horror because I just think that's not even an interesting question, especially because it was answered 93%. So there's no reason to argue about that. That's pretty much a consensus from the people that answered the poll. If it was like 50-50, then I would say, okay, maybe there's some merit in like explaining why we feel it is, but there's no reason to do that the the bigger question is why can't horror be set in space i don't understand why the setting space has to do with mm-hmm. it and the, the, it has nothing to do with what it. exactly and the further conversation because if you read the actual thread when like you know the masses start chiming in there was people trying to argue that well alien's a thriller anyway not a horror and i'm like uh <laughs> what
2: uh yeah I, all, all those great thrillers I've watched where monsters come bursting out of human beings' chests. Yeah, great thriller. And, and you're stuck yeah, with and it, it in
3: outer space.
2: And it has acid for blood. This is the reason why I did, I was vehemently against this as our burning question. This woman makes a statement that I don't believe she actually believes. She purposely tweeted a hot take and... She purposely wanted all these thousands of people to get engaged in the conversation. Every single time somebody calls this woman a moron, a dumb bitch, a fucking idiot, she wins. Every you know every single time we bring up this tweet, she wins. Do you understand? I don't like this mentality of discussing this very obviously inflammatory text that was meant to only anger. I guarantee that woman doesn't believe that statement. I guarantee it. She is just, and we've seen it countless times where trolls will go on Facebook or Twitter and say, you know, fact, blah, 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 blah. When it's (laughs) absolutely not a fact. It's a total opinion. But the, the point is, is that I don't believe that this woman believes this statement. I think that she said this specifically to get a because look at her she 's fucking nationally popular now. People know her name across the country because she made one inflammatory tweet. I don't appreciate that. We're we're adding to this woman's 15 minutes. Like I'm infuriated right now. I'm literally getting heated on my favorite fucking podcast that I like to be on because we're spending time, we're wasting our breath on this person who doesn't deserve our breath, doesn't deserve our time, doesn't deserve our intelligence, what little we may have. So the the point is, when Mike brought this up to the table as the as the um, uh, the the question of the week, the burning question. Michael tell you, I vehemently disagreed right away. I hate this topic. I hate giving stupid people or trolls um, more recognition than they deserve. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. Even without us mentioning the woman's name, people either already know who we're talking about or they're they're going to just look it up. As soon as they hear this, they're going to go look up this woman, give her even more, um, you know, eyes on her tweet. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, I could go online right now and say, uh, I don't know, comedies can't be set underwater. That's just as ridiculous a statement as the (laughs) statement that she made, and it probably wouldn't start the shitstorm that she started, because now, you know... I've seen multiple people do the exact same thing that she's done, make ridiculous statements in in the um, in the hope of starting, you know, stupid conversation with people. But, yeah, I, I cannot put into words enough how much I hate this burning question, how much I hate the fact that we're talking about this woman. We're giving her notoriety. And, and and I'm just getting heated. I'm just getting angry for no fucking reason. And this is so upsetting to me. It genuinely is. And, <laughs> I'm still mad at Mike for this, you, in case anybody's wondering. And, I, I don't like this topic. I, I don't like anything about it. I understand we needed a burning question, and I understand it. And, and look, we're here talking about it. It is starting a conversation, one that's probably not going to end anytime soon, because Derek's got to chime in. Mike's probably going to chime in a little bit more. So it's like... Like I said, I just don't like it. I personally am not a fan of people like that that make those kind of tweets, just purposely looking for a reaction from people. And I am ninety nine point nine percent sure that that's exactly what this woman did. She didn't believe that statement. She just wanted to make a statement to piss off millions of horror fans. And guess what? She fucking succeeded. Because here we are. So um, yeah. yeah, I, I you know,
1: that. Venom. That was a short version of your rant.
3: Can we get the full version? No, 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 no. Come
2: on, another twenty minutes. No, I
3: will end this all because I'm going to give recognition to Robert England, our god and savior, for his performance in Galaxy of Terror, which is set which is set in space, and involves giant worm rape. It's amazing. So yes, it, it has a great atmosphere. Which a lot of great space movies have great atmosphere of their horror films. That was created by the legendary Mario Bava when he did *Planet of the Vampires*. So fuck off, bitch.
2: Move (laughs) on. Yeah, like I said, that's why I believe that this woman just made this statement just to get a reaction because it makes zero sense that a certain movie can't be set in a certain place. It, It it can't happen. I could I could make a fucking movie about polka at a heavy metal concert. The polka, setting, polka, nothing. Polka, polka. <laughs> you know I mean? Well, yeah, because I mean, my, if my problem. Does that woman watch Event Horizon and look me in the eye and tell me that it's not right. horror? I bet you she won't. With I can't. The greatest horror penhead horror. that
1: we never had. Make no distinction between like Alien and Two Thousand One Space Odyssey as if like they're both the same genre. Like no, right. come on. Um, yeah, and like I said at the beginning, like my, I I usually don't get so well like i i will disagree but i don't get as irritated with these type of statements if she actually followed up with an argument but what she stated she improperly labeled it as an argument yeah, I'm like, yeah, not, the, a the, not an argument
3: but the, the the reason why venom's mad mike is because you're giving the the tweet it more attention which it shouldn't be getting because we're all let's say somebody didn't fucking see this tweet and now we're talking about it that means they'll go look it up
2: That's what I mean. I just I'm not a fan of extending someone's 15 minutes of fame to 20 minutes. It it really I I don't want to be I don't want to ever be accused of of perpetuating this whole thing of, you know, sharing it like like all the people that shared it on Facebook or on Twitter, you know, just to start up all these arguments and everything. It's like, no, I see something like that. I walk the fuck away. There's no need for me to get upset about it because it's just one stupid person in fucking Minnesota or North Dakota. Who the hell knows? I don't care. But the point is, that was a troll post, period. There is no way that she believes that statement. And if she does believe that statement, that takes away all credibility and I don't have to listen to her. So, so she's either an idiot or a troll. Take your pick.
3: <laughs> yeah and i i know that from firsthand experience especially with the last few weeks and you know it's like it's just you know i have enough other shit to worry about in my life to worry about what some bitch thinks a space movie can't yeah. be a horror movie
2: i mean i'm purposely not calling her names you know because again i don't know if she's just dumb or a troll but like i said i i'm i'm more talking about the fact that this is our burning question for the week.
3: Yeah. yeah, I don't even like using that word. I'm being mean today. I'm just tired. And <laughs> <use that word. laughs> I
2: mean, I, I can see that there is a conversation to be had there. I really can. It's just that conversation's not for me. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't want to give this woman even a little bit of my breath, and here we are, what, almost 15 minutes into this conversation? Well, maybe not 15, maybe like 10 minutes into this conversation, and we're still goddamn talking.
3: Dark Side of the Moon Great Dark Side of the Moon, Great Under Space Horror Movie. Go check it out, peeps. Get the Blu-ray from Under Films. Main drop. Horror
2: movies can't be set in the sewer.
3: Septic man. Great horror movie.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Chug's not a horror movie.
1: (laughs) Horror movies can't be set at night.
2: Oh, (laughs) people are even better, horror movies can't be set in the day. (laughs) <laughs> Considering Newton. both of our movies today were set in the daytime. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, I, I you know, I'm trying I'm trying to keep a good spirit. I'm trying to be chipper here, but I, I can genuinely tell you that I, I'm just not happy with this burning question. It's 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 barely a question. It's more just an opinion piece. You know, we're we're basically all just giving our opinion on this person, whether we think she's stupid, whether she think we think she's a troll, whatever the case may be. This woman has gotten way more popularity than she deserves for making that statement, and that's all I'm really saying.
3: And and I will end this saying that the greatest ending of a movie ever is the end of mafia when the Eskimo kills Barney, the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is all.
1: Yeah. I think, I, yeah. As, as that conversation went on, I think I was more amazed at people saying that aliens not even, or that alien was a thriller. Uh, that's what like, and that wasn't even her saying it at that point. I was just like, wow. Wow. No. I mean, like, you we gotta
2: realize we're never gonna get universal agreement on things like this. Is Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? We're never gonna get hundred percent of movie viewers to agree with it. And ultimately, it's not right or wrong one way or the other. I mean, you notice I'm not calling this woman wrong because if she actually believes it, then that's her belief, and that's fine. I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna make personal statements about someone because they disagree with me. You know, if someone likes a movie that I hate, I'm not going to call them an idiot not, or, or, you know, whatever. They have no horror cred. No, it, it, those aren't statements I like to make. But yeah. like I said, it's just the fact that this woman did this specifically for attention and we all handed her the attention on a fucking silver platter. That's just so disheartening to me. Like, I'm so disappointed with the horror community right now. Literally, I'm disappointed with every single person who decided to start talking about this topic, including myself. It just we gave this woman recognition for no fucking reason, and now she's the flavor of the week on Twitter because of what we did, not even because of what she did, because of what we did, how we reacted to it. Instead of just ignoring it and maybe laughing and walking away, nope, we all got to reply. "Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? blah 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 blah." And then start this 400 comment thread about, you know, going back and forth with people who are really just talking opinion. Because that's all it is. It's opinion. You know, if you want to tell me that Alien is sci-fi and not horror, cool. Give me your arguments. And I'm not going to necessarily disagree with you, but I will then rebut by giving my reasons why I think it is. And, you know, we go from there. So, like I said, I'm not going to I'm not going to make personal negative statements to this woman. Um I I just don't like the fact that she I feel like she did this specifically for attention. And then the fact that we all then turn around and gave her that attention is so disappointing to me. I'm so disappointed with the horror community right now. I I can't I can't even tell you. I I, Social I legitimately am.
3: (laughs) So, yeah, hopefully by next
2: week, she'll be a footnote again because uh, the more I hear people talking about it, and it's not just us. I mean, there's obviously a lot of podcasts talking about her, obviously, the internet, all social media, not just Twitter. I've seen people on Instagram talking about it, people on Facebook, everywhere talking about this woman. I, so, yeah, like I, I said, she's I hope this, her.
4: She's
3: mm-hmm. the, I, I was just going to say she's just Generation's optimum.
1: <laughs> I, I just want her next. Tweet to be something that pisses off horror fans even more, and like <laughs> something like, My argument Halloween is not a slasher movie, just to piss off Halloween fanboys, oh, yeah. C- so
3: cujo is not a killer dog movie.
1: I wonder, I wanted to tweet something like. Terminator is not a science fiction movie because it's killing it's a people, horror. so it's a, it's horror, a horror
2: movie.
3: Horror. <laughs> like, do it's not sci-fi because it's set on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, sci-fi uh,
2: can't be set on Earth.
0: There's,
2: here's,
3: there's a, a, here's a hot take. Chopping Mall is my favorite slasher of all time. Mic drop.
2: I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's robots doing the killing don't make it any less a slasher. I love that movie so My much. Argument, have a, Nightmare have Nightmare, a nice day.
1: My argument, Nightmare on Elm Street's a zombie movie. <laughs> Something like Outlandish. Like
3: Robin England is very zombie-ish in that movie. Hey, our, you our can Lord's, make the argument
2: he came back uh, from his head. Our <laughs> he lord and savior.
3: Robin <laughs> England.
2: Uh, so uh,
1: good. All right. Well, well, we'll wrap up the segment on that lighter uh, note at the <laughs> end. So we're going to take a break, and then Venom is going to captain the ship as we talk his picks coming up. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
2: back folks to no more room in hell episode number 30 this is mr venom i'm gonna go ahead and take the reins here since these are my selections for the week and um i wanted to talk a little bit about um czechoslovakian uh cinema in general now um i mentioned earlier that i also watched a couple of other uh, czech movies um one of those movies was uh mordiana and that one is actually considered like Uh, the number one horror movie out of Czechoslovakia, but it was a little bit hard to find, so I decided not to do that one for this show. But that one, along with our selections uh, today, all kind of have a lot of the same similar themes, like a very high artistic value in the movies. You know, they really value cinematography, score, Uh, The score in both of our features this year, uh, this week, excuse me, are, um, you know, both really, really well made. The cinematography in both is really, really well done. I mean, the first uh, our first movie of the week is actually based on a fairy tale that was written a few decades before the release of this movie. So um, and you can really tell you can get that surreal kind of fairy tale feel to the movie um, as you're watching it, as you see, you know, different people. Interact, and of course, the movie I'm talking about is Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, uh, from 1970. Uh, like I said, this is out of the Czechos, uh, out of Czechoslovakia. It is direct, directed by Yaramil Yerez and it stars Yaroslava Shalarova as the titular Valerie. Um, this story basically is once again as someone mentioned earlier i don't remember if it was mike or Derek mentioned that this is a coming of age uh, film it is the story of a 13 year old girl named valerie at the very beginning of the movie she gets her first period which of course in most societies indicates that she has now become a woman she can now give birth but uh, because of her first period and something about Uh, the essence of her blood, which we'll get into in a little bit, it starts attracting vampires to her hometown. Uh, We see the first vampire who is called multiple names. Um, Some of the characters actually call him Richard. Um, Some of them call him the Chancellor. uh, And then other people call him the Polecat. Uh, I'm going to stick with Polecat because I like that one a lot. That seems to be the more common one that people were using throughout the movie. Um, the polecat is like a tall, very pale skinned man with very disturbing teeth. His teeth are very they're not quite sharp like vampire teeth. They're just it looks like he's never brushed his teeth his whole life. And he looks like he's about 100 years old. You know, like I said, he's an old man, pale, um, wrinkled. He is the first of the vampires to arrive in this town. And basically the vampires are attracted to Valerie's blood, though they're not 100 percent sure why at first. Um, as we watch the film and as more vampires start to appear, uh, we get a holy man who is a vampire named Grazian. Um, we get a female vampire named Elsa, who's actually played by the same actress that plays Babika, who is Valerie's grandmother. And there's a lot of, I was confused a little bit the first time I watched this because Valerie's grandmother really doesn't look that much older than Valerie. Um, but, as we find out about halfway through the movie, she has been turned by her former lover, Grazian, who, as I mentioned, is the priest, who is also a vampire. Anyway, um, you know, various twists and turns. Um, the big reveal of the film is that Valerie's blood can actually heal vampirism in the sense that there are two people in the film. And I won't give away who, but there are two people in the film who uh, one of them was already a vampire for the whole movie, and then another one, a young girl who gets married, um, gets turned into a vampire on her wedding night. Well, Valerie, by basically kissing and doing <laughs> other various things with these two people, is actually able to cl- uh, cure their vampirism to the point where Grazian actually died. Grazian, as a vampire, was killed. Uh, by one of the townspeople and then valerie by kissing him on the lips actually brought him back to life and cured his vampirism we don't really get a whole lot of explanation like i said this is a fairy tale more than anything so there's a lot of suspension of disbelief ultimately this is a, a very artistic film as i mentioned that seems to be kind of the theme with czechoslovakian cinema be it from the 70s or even today, you know, with 2016's The Noonday Witch, um, they definitely go more for narrative than they do horror set pieces. Um, In fact, Valerie in her Week of Wonders doesn't have any jump scares. Um, There's not really any, uh, like, very violent death. Like, it's not a visceral film at all. It's definitely more about its symbolism, more about its um, storytelling and... um, and as I mentioned earlier, too, the actress Yaroslava Shalarova, who plays Valerie, um, is is 13 years old. Valerie as a character is 13, but the actress that plays her is also 13. And the only reason I bring that up is because Valerie is topless in multiple scenes of this movie. So this movie could really be construed as child pornography, even though we don't see Valerie engage in any sexual activity with any men. Anyway, uh-huh. she does end up having a lesbian interaction, which actually saves the girl that she's with, who had been turned into a vampire earlier I mentioned. Um, so it's not a very graphic movie either through sex or um Deaths, you know, not gory or bloody, but, you know, definitely a lot of themes being discussed, a lot of uh, some classism because Valerie, you know, both her parents are dead and her she's with her grandmother. But technically, the house belongs to Valerie. Or should I say, when Valerie turns 18, she will inherit the house, um, the polecat or the chancellor if you will the main vampire in the film used to live in valerie's house um before it was valerie's family house it was his house that he ended up losing in some way that they don't really explain in the film it didn't seem like he sold it voluntarily but it seems like somehow he lost it and he is basically back in town wanting to reclaim his family home but of course, you know, this is what attracts him to Valerie. But then obviously, as these vampires get closer and closer to Valerie, they realize that there's something special about her blood and they want to get to her. The story kind of goes from there and it just kind of ends on a very I wouldn't say somber note. It's almost an uplifting note because she does, as I said, uh, was able to save two people Um One of the vampires that does come to town does meet her end. And uh, that's actually, and what's funny too is that I I was talking to Mike earlier um, for those who listen to some of the other shows that Mike and I do on our most recent episode of theme warriors. Our theme was movies where the star uh, plays more than one role. And this one, even though it's not the star that plays more than one role, um, Helena Anjazova who plays uh, Elsa and Valerie's grandmother actually plays four roles in the film. So definitely a big stretch for her and Elsa and Valerie's grandmother are very different characters, even though they're both vampires, they both have different feelings about being a vampire. Whereas Elsa is very out and about. I mean, she doesn't have any problem flashing her, her vampire teeth to people in the middle of the day. Um, That's another thing that's kind of cool about this movie, too, is that they kind of subvert some vampire, um, you know, myths and things like that. The the majority of this movie takes place during the day and all the vampires in the movie are seen multiple times throughout the day scene. So obviously uh, in this particular world, vampires, you know, don't have to be night creatures, but they are still, you know, it seems like the older they get, the more you know like a classic vampire like a nosferatu they look because obviously the polecat being the main one who's very obviously not human he's you know fairly deformed and like i said his teeth are all jacked up and he's exceptionally tall um it's very obvious he's a vampire as opposed to valerie's grandmother or even elsa when she first gets into town um elsa once elsa kind of shows you know exposes herself as a vampire she has no problem hiding it the rest of the film she's pretty much just you know flashing her teeth left and right so um that was just a quick quick uh synopsis of the film so let's go to Derek Derek what did you think of Valerie and her week of wonders
3: for first off I just you know for this film it's Definitely not going to be for everyone when I watched it. I could tell, like, especially if it's a first-time watch, for some viewers, I could see them be like, what the fuck was that? You Mm -hmm. know, in that sense. But overall, I did actually enjoy the film because it had a lot of things that I gravitate towards cinema, like good cinematography. I think the film looks beautiful, even Mm -hmm. uh, with the transfer I watched of it because I actually... Got the criterion edition of this movie. It looks great. Uh, okay. You know, uh, it has a lot of good things that I look for in cinema. The fairy tale aspect I like also. Uh, I can see it kind of losing some viewers with its nonlinear kind of story jumps.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Cause it, especially when you have a character playing multiple roles too. It, I, I can see that kind of getting a little jarring and confusing for some first time watchers, but I watched the film twice and it, it, it plays a little bit better on second view. I will say that right up through. so try to give it a second chance when you have time viewers, because I could see it not being like your bag the first time, but overall I still get kind of uncomfortable talking about the subject matter of the film, because I feel like there's a lot of stuff that maybe as not being a male I probably wouldn't see or get it because it is a female centric film with, you know, mm-hmm. about like a coming to wood womanhood. So it would have been interesting if we actually did have like a female guest on this to talk about with <laughs> us, but we, we don't, you know, so it would be, you know, that maybe they picked up on some things that us as male viewers mm-hmm. didn't in that sense. Yeah. But overall I did enjoy the movie for what it was. It's didn't bl- blow me away, but I still thought it was a pretty great movie, you know, for what it was it, very well made.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have to agree. I, I, I think this movie is gorgeous to look at. Definitely. I mean, from its filmmaking standpoint, it looks amazing. Um, the film there's, there's um a couple of things that I forgot to mention, actually, for anybody who may have sought out this film, there are actually two versions of this movie available. Um, one of them is actually silent. They created it as a silent film. So if if you have that criterion or potentially look for it online, you may end up finding one over the other. So like I said, um, one is silent with no dialogue or sound effects whatsoever. It's the exact same movie, literally. So you do still see characters on screen talking. But obviously without title cards or subtitles or anything like that, it's more... You know, just, you know, one of those narratives that you kind of it might be a little bit difficult to follow without the dialogue, but it's still such a gorgeous movie. And and a lot of the themes are very obvious. Um, I did watch both versions. In fact, I watched the silent version first. And I still got the majority of the story on my first watch with the silent version. You know, I understood who the polecat was. I understood who Elsa was. I wasn't sure that Valerie's grandmother was her grandmother because she looked so young. I assumed it was her mother um, and maybe that she had lost her husband. And that's why, you know, she her face was so pale and. You know, she always wore that same white dress. But obviously, once you get the subtitles and, and the dialogue, you actually figure out that, you know, it's actually her grandmother, blah, blah, blah. So there is little bits of information that you might not get in the silent version. But the silent version is still a wonder to behold. It's it's still gorgeous. And if that's the only version you can get your hands on, I think you can still watch it and still be able to pull most of the narrative out of the film. Um In fact, to this day, well, maybe not to this day, but as of the beginning of the pandemic, this movie still regularly plays in theaters in the Czech Republic. And what they do there is they play the silent version, but they do it with a live orchestra. So instead of getting the score that's embedded on the film, you've got the live orchestra playing the score in front of you in a big concert hall. And then you've got, you know, the movie playing on the screen. Um, which sounds like a wonderful experience. I, I've been to multiple silent movies where there's a live orchestra playing or a, a Wurlitzer player on stage playing the score. And, you know, those are always fun things. So, yeah, just wanted to let people know that there are two different versions of the movie. So if you do watch one that has no dialogue, don't worry, it's not a mistake. That is an official release of the film. Um, but yeah, uh, I do believe that the version with dialogue is available on YouTube. I know Derek mentioned he has the criterion but uh, after i watched it i did actually find it on youtube uh for free um not the silent version but the one with dialogue and subtitles so anyway with all that said now mike what did you think of valerie and her week of wonders
1: yeah so first to start off i'll echo what derek said kind of this isn't going to be a movie for everyone especially if you get the silent version I also think because everything I have to say is based on one watch, so I think it's also a movie that's it's difficult to kind of possibly break down and get everything they were going for through one watch. But I will say I thought it was very good. Uh, I was I, I think it's kind of like an intoxicating movie just because it's it's almost filmed the entire way as like a fever dream, um, you know you're not always 100% sure if what what we're seeing through her eyes is 100% happening or if you know some things are being conjured in her mind basically her version of things because of the events going on uh basically you know this <clears throat> this movie is a big strong like metaphor for kind of like a woman's sexual awakening um i think Derek you know put it as in going Switching like womanhood, it's 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 basically I think a euphemism because it opens up with her getting her first period, and then and then it's almost like the metaphor of okay, here comes the freaking carnival to town, right? The carnival of vampires, (laughs) right? She's she's now she's now quote unquote a woman in the physical way. And here comes the world to fuck that shit up. And Ugh. to me, this movie shares – or this style of movie, it's done in a completely its own unique style, which is awesome. Um, its themes, to me, share a lot with uh, the non exploitation genre kind of that we had in, like, late 60s, 70s, where uh, they were kind of – you know, in those movies, like, there would always be, like, a nun that would quote-unquote was, like, getting converted to Satanism or, you know, embracing – these other weird thoughts in her head. And usually those were metaphors for the same thing, sexual awakening, freedom, breaking from the chains of puritanical society. So to me, when I'm watching this one, I see a lot of familiar things. Although I think in this one, because she tends to be younger, you know, she's not a late teen or 20. She's, I think supposed to be 13. Yeah. She's 13. Right? Yeah, yeah, Right. Exactly. So I think this is done. It's much more from a take of youthful innocence where it's a lot of confusion. Fusion going on because she's now getting the attention that she wasn't getting before, uh, from, um, adults, particularly adult, adult males in most cases, but not just males. Um, and she's trying to navigate what that means. What, you know, what, how has the world changed for me now as I've gone from girl to woman. And I think there's even aspects in the story where she kind of embraces that power that she has now. Um, so it, to me, it's really, a, a great take on the sexual awakening when a female goes from girl to at least young woman and how they have to navigate how much the surroundings around them change in this situation, because here comes all this attention, whether it's wanted or unwanted it's coming regardless. And I mean, you remember this, this time period, I think a lot of times with foreign movies, they pick up on all the things that were going on with like the American Counterculture and revolution, because this is 1970, so we're kind of right in the heart of, you know, mm-hmm. the 60s, uh, sexual revolution, civil rights, flower power, just all sorts of counterculture going on, and that transcends usually the the country it's it's going or it's it's coming from, and I think at least at, at this period in American history, a lot of there's a lot of influence that that's uh, setting a domino effect off of, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, as much as I did get from the movie, I'm sure on rewatches I would pick up even more, probably, you know, on specific characters or Mm -hmm. specific things that happen in the movies that I could put explanations to. Because, yeah, there's still a, a lot that I'm watching and I'm getting the overall picture of what they're going through, but it would definitely benefit a rewatch. But it's a very cool, like, fairy tale way to tackle these themes. And mm-hmm. I love it because I love when you can get a movie that it, the themes you've seen explored before, but they managed to really tackle it in their own, own way to where it doesn't feel exactly like other movies, you know? And I think this is what we were talking about previous or earlier on the show when you were talking about kind of your versions to remakes in general, not always, but mm-hmm. I, I think this is a good example of how to do a story. Like even in 1970, I mean, you could say this story's been done in other movies, but they managed to make this one to where it still doesn't feel like you're watching the same thing, despite the yeah. themes yeah. being commonplace. And I, I always credit movies for being able to pull that off.
3: Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I said, like when I was talking about like that document, that little uh, feature that was on the Ginger Snaps DVD, they pretty much said that this was like the first example of this type of story for horror films to do like this like thing with uh, you know like the sexual awakening of females uh-huh. you know which you know ginger snaps like during that time period when it came out it was the same thing yep. and this is kind of like one of the the big forefathers of that kind of small sub-genre of movies
1: I mean really yeah even like the american like kind of uh witch or satanic witch movies at time like witchfinder general Uh, Mm -hmm. Blood on Satan's Claw, a lot of them represent, you know, they tackle the same themes of young women coming from, you know, very strict societies in their own way, you know, whatever rule system or infrastructure is set up for how they're supposed to live and embracing kind of, you know, they have different thoughts on it. And it's kind of them like figuring out how to navigate that freedom for themselves or make their own decisions in life and like I said I feel this one takes that general theme but since it is through the eyes of a character that's much younger than traditionally those characters happen to be I feel there's elements here that we don't get in another one I feel this one is the character in this one I think she comes from a POV a lot of naivety in her uh, pr- approaches because she's new to the. I mean like I said, when I first started giving my thoughts, she literally has her first period in the opening scene, and so it's like the very beginning of the process of of womanhood, and she's you know there's some confusion there's i think naivety in how like the adults are now giving her attention um I love like the scenes when the uh the parishioners or missionaries or whatever are rolling into town and, like, they remove their masks and they look normal one minute. I mean, I almost think you could say whether you think the vampires are actually vampires, I think they are. I think the movie does it both ways. I think they are vampires
4: mm-hmm.
1: because there's just too much that happens throughout the movie to say, oh, it's pure metaphor. So I do think they're literal vampires, but I also think the vampires. Happen to be a metaphor for um society at large of what happens when girls become young women and then just women in general how society looks to kind of like use them up and say okay now they're ready for you know to be used for what we need them for and especially back then i mean there's still many you know i don't want to get overly political but let's just say there's still issues to work on now but back then even more so as far as you know women's liberation was still a relatively Uh thing back then so i think a lot of the metaphors that are going on here are uh tackling that directly of how society reacts when girls become young women and how it's like society's basically telling them okay now it's uh uh, you have reached the age where we get to use you for what we want, and, and it's her kind of navigating the rest of her life.
3: There, there's even a weird subplot where the one, one vampire chick was trying to make it the guy that wanted to bang her, her brother. Uh-huh.
2: Oh, right, yeah, this movie kind of... There's tip-tose. a lot of taboo stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it tiptoes the kind of incestuous stuff, and there's actually a reason behind that. Um, I mentioned that this movie is based on a novella that was written a few decades before this, uh, of the same title, Valerie and Her Week of Wonders. And in the novella, it's actually much more incestuous to the point where there's actual scenes in the movie where her and her perceived brother actually do have sex. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of differences between the novella and the movie. I mean, like I said, there's that, um, uh, there's the fact that um, the pole cat exposes himself to uh, Valerie in the story. Like he opens his robe and he's completely naked, and you know, th- I, you can only imagine what that image looks like.
0: Yeah. Um, but
2: yeah, the, um, Valerie was definitely supposed to um, be more sexually active because in the story they are not thirteen. Um, so Valerie's not thirteen. Her and Eaglet or Orlick, depending on which version of the movie you saw, her, her main romantic interest... Um, in this movie he's older than her he's very obviously older than her he's at least 20 in this movie whereas valerie is 13 but in the novella they're both the same age but not 13 i I would probably say they're, they're probably both closer to 20. so the novella has a lot more sexual content even to the point where when they thought they were brother and sister they had sex again um so yeah the movie kind of tiptoes that stuff a little bit like you know there's there's lines in the movie that say oh your brother and sister and then somebody else will rebut oh no no we're not uh you know the polecat is my father um you know he's not your father blah 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 but then later in the film it's revealed that yes the polecat actually is both of their parents and they actually are brother and sister but You know, they're in love and, you know, they don't really care all that much. And it's a different world. You know, it's Czechoslovakia, 1970.
4: Czechoslovakia.
2: (laughs) Maybe it's not as frowned upon over there. I don't know. Obviously, in this country, I don't even think it's legal for siblings to marry. But, you know, obviously, again, 1970 Czechoslovakia. Who knows? Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of differences between the novella and the movie. Um, They decided to make Valerie 13 in this one so that they could do her whole, um, you know, burgeoning sexuality with her first period at the beginning of the movie and all. And they just made the choice uh, to make her romantic interest Eaglet or Orlick, like I said, um, depending on which version you saw, Um, because there's two different um, English subtitle tracks for this movie. Um, The guy's name actually is Orlik, but I think they may have changed it because Orlik sounds a lot like a vampire, you know, Orlok. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they went with the more traditional eaglet, which is the actual uh, word. It's the meaning of the word Orlik actually in Czechoslovakia means young eagle. So that's why they went ahead with eaglet as kind of his nickname, the name that Valerie calls him throughout the movie. But yeah, like I said, um, the, the novel is just way more sexual than this one As sexual as this one is uh, the novels way more um, because Valerie actually has sex in the novella because she's a little bit older and everything else. So
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, the novel's not so much about her first period as it is just her burgeoning into sexual activity and actually, you know, laying with men and women um, which was in the book as i mentioned there is a lesbian scene in the movie don't look for something ultra sexy it's not the sexiest thing in the world they definitely are going more for artistic value than sensuality but you know valerie does 13 year old valerie does sleep with an older girl in the movie So, you know, there's those different kind of elements there. But um, obviously, I haven't read the novella. I haven't even really looked into it. I I found an article online that had the differences between the novella and the movie. So, you know, like I said, the sexuality is going to be the biggest thing, the changing of Valerie's age, um, things like that. So, um, the movie also got a little bit of criticism. I'm sure you guys noticed that there is some animal cruelty in the movie. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's 1970, so you really can't fake what we saw in the movie. There are two very specific scenes. Um, that bullcat definitely got shot. Val- Uh, Yeah, well, that's the second one, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's one scene where Valerie bites um, a chicken and sucks some of its blood out. That was fake because she does that with her back to the camera. So we don't actually see her bite the chicken. But then there's a scene later on where a chicken is killed and we see it kind of on the ground struggling. That's absolutely not a special effect. There's no way they created that great-looking and animatronic chicken in 1970 in Czechoslovakia. So that's very obviously a a bit of animal cruelty. And then, of course, the one Derek mentioned, um, after the polecat is found out um, and Valerie kisses him, he ends up transforming into an actual polecat. So that that polecat that gets shot at the end of the movie actually is that character that got the tall guy in the black robe after Valerie had kissed him because he was so old and he was such a. Uh, an established vampire, she couldn't make him human again with her blood. All she could do is transform him into something a little bit more palatable for people. Um, But then he was caught killing uh, one of the farmer's chickens and ended up getting shot. And it is very graphic. Unfortunately, we see the shot, the polecat gets shot right in the head and he just starts, you know, just bouncing around all over the place, you know, like a chicken with its head cut off, blah, blah, blah. So, Um, the fair warning, if animal cruelty is something that you can't really be a part of, and with this movie, it's very obviously real, you might want to avoid this one. It's like I said, it's really, there's, there's implied animal cruelty in the movie, but most of that is fake. Like there's a scene with a bunch of dead chickens on the ground. Those are all fake dead chickens. Mm -hmm. but the but you know the specific ones of the dead chicken on the ground writhing that is absolutely real and then of course the polecat getting killed so yeah um um, that, that was pretty much some of the biggest controversy of the movie. In fact, that was a bigger controversy than the underage actress in Czechoslovakia, I guess, uh, especially in 1970. I guess they have much looser standards for cinema. So that wasn't as big a deal. But definitely, um, you know, there was a there, there was also a scene with a fish, a live fish that the fish didn't really get hurt. But, um, like, they show a girl pull a live fish out of the river, and then she kind of plays with it, she kisses it, and then she puts it down her shirt in between her breasts. Um, So, you know, if you consider that cruelty, yeah, I mean, I guess the fish is out of water. But, I mean, they put him back in fairly quickly. I mean, you could see it on screen. He's only out of the water for, like, three to five seconds. But it's still, if you're a hardcore PETA supporter, then it might be something to to think about if you're going to check out this movie. Mm Mm-hmm um and uh let's see i think
3: i, I, I got one thing on it. what do you got that, that's interesting it actually made me kind of like yeah it makes sense uh, the screenwriter of a company of wolves angela cotter who uh co-wrote that film with neil jordan of course this was the influence for that movie
2: <laughs> nice this influenced company of wolves wow
3: yeah, yeah, and you can kind of tell it because that one has like a fairy tale aesthetic to it too.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, mean, I see it more in its filmmaking and just its fairy tale aesthetic more than its actual storytelling, but yeah, I do see the similarities. I would have yeah. never thought of it, but yeah.
3: Yeah, and it also like, because she actually based that off of two of her short stories, those short stories are also based off this movie.
2: Nice. Yeah, I had read that this movie was fairly influential in, in Central Europe at, at this time period. Um, now, obviously, at this time, it's Czechoslovakia, and um, they were still kind of a part of Russia uh, at that point, the USSR. And this movie actually ended up getting not banned, but they wouldn't let... Um, the, the Ru- Russia wouldn't allow Czechoslovakia to export this film because it wasn't approved by the Russian Film Board. Um Luckily, enough copies of the original film were like hidden and saved so that the movie can be seen by future generations. But it is one of those movies that Russia kind of wanted to bury because they didn't like its interpretation they didn't like the way it you know portrayed people that maybe aren't Russian but they are still part of the Russian Union at all uh-huh. so so, yeah, I mean, we're we're lucky that somebody had the forethought to hide a few copies of this, you know, in the in the late 70s so that we could ex- enjoy it now. So, yeah, um, definitely controversial in its time. Um, how controversial is it now today? Well, you're still looking at a naked 13 year old. So I'm not even sure if this. I mean, yes, there's a criterion a release of this. I'm actually very surprised because I thought. American cinema standards wouldn't allow something like this to be shown here, even though it's not porno, uh, pornographic. It's still a thirteen-year-old naked girl.
3: Well, so. well, well. Criterion also released solo, so let's not go too far.
2: Yeah. True. True.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe the fact that it's a older movie is how they got how they got away with kind of giving it like the American release with Criterion treatment. Who knows? I mean, but yeah, I can see like uh, up to that, uh, like when nudity happens, people are like, okay, this is kind of weirdish." And then all of a sudden they do a double take. Like what, what did yeah, I just, just see what I thought I saw?
3: Yeah. I don't say, th- I, I usually don't think about like that when I watch these movies, like I watched the devil, a daughter and that has like 14 year old Natasha Hendricks. Naked, you know, and you know it was awkward at first. But then you're like, that's oh, part of the movie. It's the time period it came out. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's not like yeah. I felt dirty watching it, but it's yeah. like once I read that she actually was, because I knew the character was 13, but I would not have guessed that the actress was 13. I mean, she was fairly developed, had a very attractive face, um, long red hair. So yeah, I would not have guessed she was 13. I probably would have said 16, 17, maybe. But once you find that information out, you kind of Take a step back and, you know, especially if you found it fairly arousing during those scenes when she was topless and then you find out she's 13. It's like, oh, God damn it. I'm awful.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I get you.
2: Yeah, but no big deal. Ultimately, yeah, it's not it's definitely not going to hinder any rewatches. Um, like I said, I did watch uh, I watched the movie twice. I watched each version once just so I can speak on both. And uh, yeah, silent version is, you know, obviously not as good from a storytelling standpoint but i mean you still get a good 70 to 75 percent of what you get out of the uh dubbed and subtitled version or the the, you know the foreign version so you know i still think that they're both viable they're both worth watching um and now that i know that this is uh, on the criterion collection i may go ahead and pick this up because this uh you know it's definitely a time capsule and I would have the other thing too is you know and maybe this is the stupid American in me but I just I never would have thought that a film from 1970 out of Czechoslovakia would look as nice as it does and it's put together as nice as it does the narrative is fairly easy to follow you know Derek did mention that there are some time jumps here and there um, but for the most part it's fairly you know uh, you know uh, basic as far as its storytelling yeah yeah Um, but. Yeah, I I definitely see the value in this movie. I can see why it inspired so many people. Because if I was a filmmaker, this is something that, you know, I would look at as sheer art. You know, this isn't just some schlocky little, you know, vampire movie. This is incredibly artistic, incredibly well done, beautiful cinematography, love the score. By the way, if you get this, if you see the silent movie version, it does have a different score. The score is not the same.
3: Yeah, and that's the folk soundtrack, right?
2: exactly it's the much more somber slower soundtrack whereas the uh the real version with dialogue you know there's like more percussive um sound effects a lot louder like when like when the polecat lights that well on fire in the real in the in the dialogue version like a chorus of angels starts singing at the moment that the well is lit on fire but In the silent version, there's a minor key change with the music, but it's not nearly as dramatic as uh, what we get in the uh, dialogue version. So, yeah, there's some minor differences, but I think they're both worth checking out if you are a fan of this type of cinema. As we've all said at this point, it's not for everyone. This is definitely not for people who think they're going to get, you know, a Blade movie, you know, a bloody action packed, high adrenaline vampire shoot up. You know, this is not the movie for you. But if you can handle the high art and, you know, the beautiful images, um, the, the cinematography, all of that, um, this is definitely a movie to check out. I would recommend it for you know, people who like. You know the higher level kind of artistic films. I, I I would I always go towards the same thing, and it's probably kind of pretentious of me, but I always say the A two four style films of today. I think people who are into those films are gonna really enjoy Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Yeah. Um, anything yeah. else you guys got?
3: No, uh, yeah, like I I wanted to piggyback. I do recommend it. You know, like I said, give it a watch twice because sometimes that second view will help decide. And yeah, plus, also, when I was saying that, you they might have trouble because it, it this movie flies by too. So you have to really pay yeah. attention to like the dialogue and shit it. Yeah, and it, everything yeah. is a
2: metaphor. I mean, like like the word vampire doesn't exist in this movie. No one says that word. It's just the kind of thing where, you know, you, you're seeing these people that are pale. They have sharp vampire fangs. They're biting people on the neck, turning them you know, into creatures of the night. So it's all, you know, very implied, but at the same time to a seasoned horror fan, it's very obviously, you know, a vampire film, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yeah. Mike, anything else before we Uh, move on? You
1: know, I would say even for someone who this is their type of movie, a rewatch would probably just benefit it because of all (laughs) kind of like, you know, the fever dream nature to it, the metaphors going on. And there's a lot to take in on a first watch. So I would say, uh, yeah, maybe give like the silent version and the uh, dialogue version a try.
2: I mean, yeah, you could do it the way I did where I watched the silent one first just to Mm -hmm. see if I could follow what was going on. And like I said, I think I picked up generously I think I picked up like 70% of everything obviously not every relationship like I didn't know Elsa is very obviously a vampire but we didn't know who she specifically was until I saw the dialogue version so but yeah I mean there's there's great qualities in both Um, I'd probably say check out the dialogue one first just so that you get the whole gist of the story and then if you do enjoy it and you want to check out the silent version, do that, and then you can kind of do the comparative thing. Um, Who knows? You might pick up something in the silent version you didn't pick up in the dialogue version. That always Mm -hmm. happens, too. All right, folks. That is, as we said, Valerie and her Week of Wonders from 1970. Now we're going to move on to our second feature review of the day, and that is 2016's The Noonday Witch, or as it is known in the Czech Republic, uh um which pretty much just means day witch, so in in czechoslovakian so uh basic story here uh aleshka and her daughter are starting a new life in a remote house with the father away quote unquote on business as the mother claims um but then uh, the the lie is exposed i'm going to stop reading this synopsis because it gets a little spoilery actually um so yeah basically a story of a woman moving to the hometown of her deceased husband um but of course uh the daughter who is a young daughter maybe 6 or 7 years old does not know that her father is dead The mom is basically telling her oh that he's away on business and that he'll be back soon lord knows how long she's been carrying on this lie um because we don't know the exact date of the film like what the the setting date is but it does look like the dad died sometime in 2005 Anyway, um, the mom starts having, you know, these supernatural events occur. Uh, She has an old woman in the village who was accused of killing her own child years ago, decades ago, um, who is basically giving her warnings, saying that she's coming for you and she's going to take your daughter and there's nothing you can do about it, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the mom, you know, just kind of says, you know, just leave me alone. I don't believe in superstition, blah, blah, blah. But then as the movie progresses, we actually see a woman dressed in black who walks across the wheat field every day at 12. Um, The basic gist of what I was getting was that if they survived, if basically if the mother didn't lose her child before the by the time the eclipse occurred, that they were safe. Um, Obviously, this is all interpretation because the movie is in check. There's not a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, it, it's not a little amount of dialogue. There's still, a, you know, a decent amount, but not a whole lot of explanation. We only really get to see the witch once, and it's in a really weird CG shot that doesn't look great. Um but then we see a more humanoid uh version of the witch uh in the third act, uh you know, during the climax blah 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 when she's actually trying to take Aleshka's daughter away from her. Mm-hmm. Um And that's pretty much the gist of it. It's, uh, like I said, just the story of a woman and her daughter moving to a new town and having to deal with a supernatural entity that is potentially coming to get her daughter. So uh, let's go ahead and start with Mike this time. What would you think of The Noonday Witch?
1: All right. So another movie that I feel shares some DNA with, um, a movie like it it immediately made me think of a more modern movie, and it's a polarizing movie because some people really like it, some people hate it for let me, all let different me, reasons. Let me guess.
3: <laughs> well, I already, because uh, I was actually going to use it in my opening. Are we going to use the the of, uh, The Czech Babadook. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> because to me,
1: as the movie's going on, and kind of when we get our conclusion, really the the ending scene is what, um solidified it to me i i think this movie is mostly um a, a metaphor euphemism whatever term you want to use uh it's um a story of a woman who doesn't know how to properly uh grieve and and She is kind of, in in a sense, messing up her kid because of her issues without agreement. I think there's a key piece of dialogue um, that – I think it's the mayor's wife. Is it the old kind of kooky lady that shows up randomly? Um, The mayor's wife. She says one small piece of dialogue, and it could probably get overlooked in the context of the entire movie. Um, But she says, you must cry together. And I think that's a way of her trying to tell the mom, A, you know, your husband died tragically, possibly." But I think it's, I think that it suggested that it could have been by suicide. Yeah. Um. But basically, the mom's going out of her way to kind of like hide this fact from the daughter. Uh. At you know, for wolf, for what reason I don't know because it's like well eventually she's going to find out. But for the sake of the story, she's going out of her way to not even let the daughter know he's dead let alone possibly from suicide so right there she's kind of setting up like you know guilt shame um she's obviously going through her own grief because she know she's carrying the burden burden of knowing he's dead um and trying to create kind of like this fake safety for the daughter and it's causing her to manifest all these things. It's causing her stress. Uh, you move to a new town where you don't know anybody. And it's a small town with limited resources. It, it's like the perfect storm for what happens throughout the movie. And it's another case where I think it's done really well. Um, mm-hmm. It it definitely reminded me of elements of the Bobby Duke, but I, it wasn't like I was sitting there going like, Oh, I could have just watched the Bobby. Like it, it was still very much its own, movie and handled in a in a great way and I think you know some of it's true to life about the grieving process and how some you know life is full of heartbreak and situations uh mm-hmm. out of your control and if you know if you try to internalize it or compartmentalize it in certain ways it can it doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna manifest a monster, you know, but mm-hmm. it can still mess you up in other ways going forward so you really shouldn't shy away from these types of things in life it doesn't mean there's not a grieving process of course there is but the mom wasn't really doing it the right way and i think that's what sets it up and i think that's what makes our movie
2: yeah absolutely I, i mean this movie has a lot more plot issues for me than uh valerie um Obviously, Valerie is based on a fairy tale, so you know, you know you're suspending disbelief greatly in that one. This one, there's some choices that are made. Like like the mom going back to the town where this man is buried. Like that, it made no sense to me that you're going to lie to your daughter about your husband being dead, but then move to the town where he's buried, a town with only one cemetery. I mean, do you honestly think your daughter's never going to walk into that cemetery? Yeah. And, the way that it's exposed to her, the way that she finds out is from one of the neighborhood kids who's basically just making fun of her because she thinks her father's away on business and that he's going to be back soon. Yet every single person in this town knows that this particular guy is dead. Uh, Tomas, I believe his name was. And um, it, it just made no sense to me that this woman would make this decision to bring this girl into this situation And then the other major, major problem that I have with this movie, and I don't have many, many problems with this movie. Overall, I really, really did enjoy it. It's a gorgeous film. Uh, They definitely utilized a beautiful setting, the locale that they had for this, you know, based around like a wheat field um, on a farm. You know, it, it just looks gorgeous in the middle of the day with the sun shining and everything's bright yellow. It just looks really, really nice. But aside from that, the other issue, the other major issue that I have with this movie is the fact that once the daughter does find out that her father is dead, like definitively, like she's standing in front of her father's grave, the mother and daughter have no conversation the rest of the movie about that. Like zero. The mom does it literally the same day that the daughter finds out her father's dead. The mother's in the garden planting flowers and having like, you know, um, just chit-chat with her daughter. Like, oh, isn't this nice that we're able to do things together? And I'm like, why is no one addressing the elephant in the room? It, just, it freaked me out. And then the movie ends, and they never have that conversation. And I'm like, what? In what world would that girl find out her father was dead and not go off on her mother and not at least have a conversation? Like, this is... The- I'm going to say the mom in the Babadook is four times the mother that this woman is because at least that woman told her son that her father was, that his father was dead. And and I understand, don't get me wrong. I totally understand why mom did it. She's obviously trying to protect her daughter from the grief that she's going to feel. But the point is, Every day that she waits, it's going to be worse. I mean, what if the girl never found out until she was like 18 and the mother j- then just one day says, OK, well, now that you're 18, I'm going to tell you about your dad. How pissed off would she be as an 18 year old having believed that for the last 10 years her father was still alive? So there are plot holes in this movie. There are little things that are going to make you scratch your head overall. I still yep. really enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, it's still a pretty good story, even with the plot holes that are there. Um, it's definitely something I'll probably return to maybe not too soon. I mean, this isn't comfort food by any stretch. This is definitely more, you know, when I'm looking for a more, you know, higher art, uh, type film. Um, but overall, I still really, really enjoyed it. So, um, Derek, uh, why don't you go ahead and chime in on the Noonday Witch?
3: Yeah, the Baba Duke. I mean, <laughs> well, first off, I I love that they cast the kid from Halloween, the Rob Zombie Halloween, as the little girl. That was amazing.
2: Was it? I didn't even know. Wait, really? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, what?
3: <laughs> <laughs> she looks like him though, kind of. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke, but uh. <laughs> Now the thing that I liked about this movie was I did like the setting. It kind of reminded me of the film, The Reflecting Skin, especially with all the hay straws that were, were in that movie. It kind of added tension because I kind of like these daytime horror films that have, like, these weird locations. And this one worked for me in that sense with the location of the film. But, yeah, I did have some issue, you know, with the plot, per se, like you said, for one thing, uh, that handyman, he was getting a little too handy, if you know what I mean.
2: Oh, my <laughs> God. He was a creeper from Day one. one. Oh,
3: oh, he obviously
1: God. wanted something else. Besides. He wanted to uh, have some other pipes clean than the ones he was under the sink. Oh, seeing.
2: absolutely. But to the point, I mean, this guy was so brazen about it. He was actually hitting on Aleshka in front of his wife. Like, literally, they were at a barbecue... Um, and, and and the guy, the handyman's wife is standing right next to him saying come on, you're drunk, let's go home and he literally tells his wife, hold on I'm talking, and he starts hitting on the lady, he's like, you know, I can come over and do repairs anytime you want even if you don't need repairs, maybe you just want to have coffee, I'll come on down right away day or night, I'm like, is that not your fucking wife standing right next to you? <laughs> I mean, the walls of this guy was amazing.
3: And the <laughs> fucked up thing is, this guy fucking babysits her kid
2: yeah, and how how does this guy look at that woman and think that she is gonna give him anything? Like i I've never I've never really grown up as that that kind of douchebag guy that thinks he's you know God's gift to women. But to look at this guy, his attitude, you would think he looked like Brad Pitt. I mean, he he huh. literally was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm gonna fuck her, I'm gonna get her, it's gonna happen, you know. I mean, he was so nonchalant about it and. Almost to the point where he was expecting her in that scene where he showed up while she was in the bathtub, where he was actually almost expecting her to just turn around and jump his bones. I'm like, how pretentious do you have to be to think that might fucking happen? Especially considering this guy is like, what, in his 50s or 60s? He's a farmer. He's out of shape. He's he's scruffy. He's dirty looking. Just, oh, God. I Uh, I, I just, man. (laughs) Some guys... (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, and plus the whole subplot with the mirror and like, yeah, my wife leaves the house all the time. I let her. I'm like, why the fuck would you let this crazy lady leave your house? Like, like there's so much to think about when. <laughs> no, he, he he pretty much killed his wife by letting her go out of the house because like, she ends up. I mean, dying.
2: I don't even I don't even know how she was returned. I mean, because cause he talks about how, um. She you know, everyone believes that she killed her son. And then once you actually finish the movie, you do realize that yeah, she probably did kill her son, but it wasn't a malicious murder. It was um it was an accident. Just like what almost ended up happening with Aleshka and her daughter, you know, where she almost, no. you know, squeezed her to death. But so I understand. But how did this woman, if the entire town thinks that she killed her son, how is she just free and allowed to do whatever the hell she wants? It's like it's a really weird time. And I feel like the movie is set fairly modern. I mean, I don't obviously there was no cell phones or anything in there, but it's still, you know, the vehicles were fairly modern. I don't know. It just it felt like uh, uh, like it was inconsistent sometimes with its storytelling. But, you know, it, it's a, that's a minor nitpick, if anything. Uh, overall, I really did enjoy this movie. But, yeah, that character, that one character of the handyman was just infuriating. Like, every scene he was in, I just wanted to strangle his shit out of him. But ultimately, that's probably his intention. That's the director's intention. Is, yeah. you know, because the whole movie, you're just waiting for that moment that he's going to try to assault her. Like, we know it's coming. They telegraphed it a mile away. And then when it finally comes, it ends so quickly and abruptly that it's almost like, I don't know, Like we, I expected a, a much bigger confrontation, you know? like I expected her to like defend herself physically and blah, 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 but yeah. no, nah, she ends up just talking him down and getting him to leave. So it, it yeah. was your choice.
3: Yeah, uh, this movie's definitely not going to be for everyone. It's very fucking slow burn. Oh, yeah. Slow, you know, slow, slow burn. Like I had to watch this in two view sittings because I was like, I got to take a break. There's too much hay right now. You know?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I, 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 I understand it is. I mean, it's literally an hour before we even see the witch. Yeah. And you know, it's not even that great an image. All we see is like a woman dressed in black walking across the wheat field. So that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a really odd movie. I mean, it, it's very well put together. It's a gorgeous movie. Uh, the score is spectacular. I love this score. Like with a yeah.
3: yeah, actually, that is my two favorite things, was the cinematography and the score were my two standouts for this film.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, they were they're just sort of so expertly done. I'm not sure who the cinematographer on this was, but I can't imagine it was a first-time cinematographer. I mean... I've said before that when you have a beautiful locale, it's not hard to have good cinematography, but this cinematographer really took advantage of his locale. Like some of the, the the sprawling shots, there's a shot where there's five kids and they all run in a different direction through the wheat field. I really like the shot where the kids actually take the daughter to go see the noonday witch. You remember they all dip down low in the tall yeah. And then they see her walk out. I I love that scene. I really do. I would have liked to have seen more of the actual witch. Like, I would have liked to have seen the witch doing witchy things. You know, in the very last scene of the movie, we do get to see her, you know, physically try to take Aleshka's daughter away from her. But it, it was still a little bit lacking in the horror set pieces. Um, yeah.
4: There's only really
2: one jump scare in this whole movie. Not to say that I want more jump scares, not by any stretch. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a big fan of the jump scares. But the one that we get in this movie is fairly effective where, you know, she turns on the light in her bedroom and then she sees the mayor's wife with her son in her bed. Like that was really the only thing that was even remotely a jump scare in this movie, but it works Mm -hmm. because it's definitely not something you're expecting. You're expecting to see the witch or a dead body or something, but instead you see the mayor's wife with her son in her arms and the look on the son's face of, I can't breathe. It's just, it's a really powerful little shot. I'll give it that.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, uh, actually there's another theme that these two movies had. the noonday witch is actually played by the same actress as plays the mother
2: yes exactly another dual role mike we keep missing we missed all these dual role movies
1: (laughs) i know it's it's fine Uh,
2: (laughs) i don't know that this one would have been uh as highly regarded from the four hosts on uh theme warriors i got a feeling doug would have liked it but who knows um Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, to to pretty much close out on Noonday Witch, it's definitely a movie that went under the radar. Um, like I said, I watched it because 2016, uh, for those who don't know, was actually the first year I started podcasting. And that year I would just watch anything and everything. Because at the time I was only podcasting with the horror cast and I was only doing guest spots here and there. I wasn't officially on a show yet. so. I was watching every movie that would come out on the off chance that maybe the horror cast would need a guest for a particular movie. I wanted to make sure I saw the movie. But definitely, aside from me watching this, I I don't remember anybody really talking about it, either negatively or positively. It definitely flew under the radar. Obviously, it's from the Czech Republic. It's not in English, so you got to deal with subtitles. Um, Which obviously is going to make some American horror fans kind of, you know, walk away from it, blah, blah, blah. But no, I I, I like this movie. I don't love it, but I like it. There is a lot of it that's really, really well done. You know, we've already talked about the filmmaking aspects of it that are genuinely stellar. Um, The performances are all fine. Like, there's no performance in the movie that I didn't, you know, that, that either made me cringe or that, you know, made me roll my eyes or whatever. The performances are fine, uh, the technical aspects are great. It's really a matter of if this story works for you. Um, it's definitely going to be an acquired taste because it's not a visceral film. Again, you know, not no on-screen death. Did anybody even die in this movie, now that I think about it?
3: Well, there's the, the, the old lady that was wondering if oh, she died. Right. This. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, that's right.
2: Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's a fairly bloodless horror movie. This is the kind of movie that I can see some people saying, oh, it's a thriller. It's not a horror movie. And that's fine. This one, I wouldn't really argue. I mean, IMDb says it's horror, but if somebody were to say this is a thriller drama, I'm okay with that designation as well. Um, ultimately I enjoyed the movie, um, probably not going to be a purchase uh and plus it's on shutter it's a shutter exclusive so it'll probably be up there for many many years to come anyway so <laughs> Um, if what we said about the film sounds interesting and you haven't seen it, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you have a nice 4K TV. This movie's gorgeous. Ah, I mean, you're not you're not getting the, the movie in 4K off a shutter by any stretch, but just you know, a big, clear picture really, really adds to the uh, appeal of this movie. You know, it just looks so nice. And and as we said too, the majority of both of our movies this week take place during the day. So that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot more nighttime scenes in The Noonday Witch than in Valerie, but um, the majority of it being during the day just definitely works for me. I I like when we get more daytime horror films.
3: Yeah, for sure. I agree.
2: All right, Mike, what do you say? Want to Um, wrap the bow on this one?
3: Yeah. Like,
1: I mean, just my final thought on it is I like the setup of the movie, I like the general story. I think. Where this one had some issues in it were just plot stuff, decisions by the mom. I think I sympathized with like the mom from the Babadook a little more, uh, given her because you know there's big. Uh, with that one, and I, I assume if more people saw this one, there'd be kind of big debates about the parenting and the kid and all well, that stuff. And I think Baba Duke creates a more kind of sympathetic situation well, to the mom. Where well, this well, one, it just feels like the mom screwing things up from start well, to
3: end. Well, my Michael, 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 I, I got to add to it, does help that the kid from the Baba Duke, the first five minutes on the screen, you're like, yeah, I get why this lady's this way. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah.
2: So, yeah I mean, this this yeah. girl is a dream. Compared to the boy in the Baba Duke. You know, she's not a screaming little idiot who's constantly fucking up her mother's life. I mean, because ultimately mom doesn't have much of a life in this movie. In The Baba Duke, the mom actually had a life, a full-time job, blah blah blah. So there was definitely more for the kid to fuck up. and I think they took advantage of that or Jennifer Kent took advantage of that with the Baba Duke. but you know, here with the daughter being a little bit more subdued makes for a more subdued story overall. Yeah. You know, you don't really get a lot of people freaking out or having mental breakdowns. Obviously, mom kind of has one right towards the end because she thinks she's about to lose her daughter. But, you know, aside from that, it, it's a fairly even played movie. You know, not a lot of over the top scenes, things like that. So good movie. Good borderline of great. <laughs> but yeah, but solidly. <laughs>
1: you know, OK, Um well, I think that's going to do it for our discussion on The Dead Bish, which wraps up our main feature segment and also, of course, wraps up No More Room in Hell, episode 30. Uh, another good one. Uh, what do we got? Uh, let's see, we're way in the middle of April now, so we'll probably looking early May only because the weekend I happen to be out of Town is, I think, either the last weekend or second to last weekend, so it would give us a little yeah, time, a little work
2: on, you mentioned the last weekend on uh, Theme Warriors, because we, we had yeah. talked about cooking that Sunday, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm okay with doing another episode this month. Uh, obviously, it's a matter of if we can get together. Unfortunately, next weekend is my birthday, so I do not plan on podcasting. Obviously, push comes to shove. I'll do it if I have to, especially if it's it's Sunday because t- Sunday technically is the day after my actual birthday. So if if we need to, we can. It's not that big a deal. I figure I'll just be you know nursing a hangover the day after my birthday more than anything. Yeah, I mean,
1: if if not May second is exactly three Sundays from today, so that can work. I'm good with because, that because yeah, the 25th I'll be gone. 18th you'll be. Having your birthday weekend, so unless Derek has plans on the second, we can aim for that. That's um, yeah. just
3: fine. I'll, I'll you don't, look have, to, we, we don't have, have to. We have to decide up, it right. Yeah, now, I yeah. look at my actual schedule. You know, like if I have anything planned for that weekend. Sure. Sure. But, yeah. For,
2: yeah. For, sure,
1: for sure. No worries. That's not Mother's um, Day, right? But yeah.
2: No. No. Mother's Day. I May second. Yeah, month. that's way too early in the month. Okay. Um, but yeah, hey, we get a day off 30. in day.
1: Nice. <laughs> yes, we do. We do. Um, uh, thanks, listeners, for sticking with us for thirty episodes. Or new listeners, hey, this is episode thirty, so there's twenty nine more of them you can go listen to if you choose to. Uh, looks like my picks are up next in the rotation. No, so no, 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 nope, it's no
2: Derek. No. You had the crocodile movies. We already talked Shit. about this, Michael.
1: You know why I got confused? Because I thought I updated the picture on the group page, but I guess I, guess I didn't. So I kept looking at it and saying, like, oh, those were Derek's pics. Yeah, I did the Crocodile <laughs> movies. So it's actually Derek's pics. And guess, um, what?
3: guess what? I I'm, I don't know the movies. You yet. already know? Oh, no, okay. I know? I don't know the actual <laughs> movies, but I'm just going to pick two random movies because it's my birthday special.
2: Nice. I like
1: it. Excellent. So episode 31, Derek's birthday special. It's a birthday celebration in hell coming up. (laughs) So until then, we are going to descend back into the depths of the Lake of Fire. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will catch you on episode 31. Say goodbye to listeners.
3: Goodbye and stay out of that wheat.
2: Enjoy your goulash.
1: (laughs) Peace.